podcast this week, you were cordially invited to spend an evening at Downton Abbey in the company of the stars of the new Downton Abbey movie, insert the name of Downton Abbey movie here, Laura Carmichael and Tuppence Middleton. Plus, we speak to the creator of Downton Abbey, Hail Fellows, well met, it's Julian Fellows himself. Ha 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 ha. Marvellous. All that, plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is recording this in a secret bunker, lest Jason Sudeikis serve us with papers. Oh. <laughs> wow. Apparently it wasn't his fault. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> anyway, if I see Seth Rogen at that door, <laughs> we're ducking. We are ducking. I refuse to believe Ted Lasso could do such a thing. Of course not. Of course not. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week, I'm joined, uh, as you've already heard, two of their voices by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. This week, we're going to get straight into it. it. Is our geek queen Helen O'Hara? Hello. It is great big fucking nerd James Dyer. That's Lord James Dyer. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Founder and treasurer and secretary of the Downton Abbey Rocks fan club. <laughs> and speaking of founders, treasurers, and secretaries. It is Amon Warman, founder, treasurer, and secretary of the Kevin Conroy fan club. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, meetings are every Tuesday and Thursday. Bring your own biscuits. Kill everyone you can on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Bring your own biscuits. That was Saturday. Who that was? It wasn't Kevin Conroy. That's no. for sure. Um, how does he sound? I'm not going to. Go on. <laughs> Go on. You talk about Kevin Conroy or Kevin Conroy is Batman. Kevin Conroy is Batman. Is it a bit like, is it a bit like, spoilers for Downton Abbey, is it a bit like that where you meet him and he's like, all right, Governor, how are you doing? <laughs> he's like Stephen Grant. Hello. Hello. Uh, Going to the back cave. <laughs> no. Going to pop it's out more like, the shop. Oh, this is going to be really bad. The world's greatest detective. You're really putting yeah. me off here. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the Riddler's been up to something again. What a plonker. Is that, is that what he's like? Is it? No, it is not. <laughs> Shockingly, would you believe would not have made I don't believe it <laughs> I don't believe it I don't believe it that many animated series would not have gone I have, on for as long as it did I have met Kevin Conroy I yeah, have, just I have, rub it in why don't you well I tried but he, he <laughs> oh no that's frowned upon in an interview <laughs> situation he, yeah <laughs> but uh, he, uh, he I've, I've shaken his hand did you bow of course no I didn't bow if anything I insisted that he bowed to me <laughs> uh, he was a very tall and commanding gentleman and very very nice indeed so, so there you go. Yeah, he cool story, bro. Man. Thank you. It was a good story, wasn't it? It was a very, very good story. Last time I was over at Comic Con, no. we're clearly not going to get a Kevin Conroy impression out of Amon. So let's move on swiftly to this week's listener question. Helen knows what it is. I don't. I've forgotten though. Uh, neither James nor Amon know what it is. Mm-mm. And while you talk amongst yourselves, I will try and find it because it was uh, in my DMs and someone sent it in to me in my DMs. And I can't find it. So, so I talk amongst see, yourselves. I went to see Oklahoma last night at the oh, Young yes, Vic. you mentioned. It's like a dark and twisted version of Oklahoma, which turns out to be quite dark and twisted anyway, which if I knew, I had forgotten. There is a song where one person tells another person to go kill themselves. Is it what? Batman? The first person <laughs> is the hero, purportedly, wow. of the show. Nobody ah. in the cast last night appeared to be the next Wolverine, but I'm, you know, kind of rooting for the girl who played Ado Annie, who was brilliant. <laughs> sure. Shall we explain that? Okay, yes, we probably should. So uh, the, the last time there was a big production of Oklahoma in London, it was 1998, I believe. 
at the National Theatre, Hugh Jackman, an unknown Australian actor, was cast in Curly <laughs> uh, and was then cast as Wolverine. So I assume, you know, by the same logic that Arthur Darville, who's playing Curly this time, will be the next Wolverine. You heard it here first, but folks, X-Men confirmed. Okay, because as you know... Dougray Scott was originally cast as Wolverine. He was. Yeah. And then Mission Impossible 2 overran sure. and overran and overran some more. Uh, the Mission Impossible 7 said, hold my beer. <laughs> A few years later. Uh, but then he couldn't do, he couldn't make the, the filming dates for well, Wolverine. You know where, so they, what, they, went, they panicked. You know what they got wrong? What did they get wrong? They cast somebody who hadn't played Curly in Oklahoma. How do we know that? I don't know that. I'm, I'm not intimately acquainted with Dougray Scott's career. He may have done it in a high school play. Maybe he did, but he didn't do it like in a big London production. What are the big songs before? in Oklahoma? Oklahoma. Uh, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> is that the one with uh, Surrey with a fringe on top? Yes, well right. done. Okay. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful morning. That's the opener. Uh, yeah. And um, I'm just a girl who can't say no. Yes, I know that, Helen, but I'm asking about the songs <laughs> in Oklahoma. <laughs> that is probably inevitable. Um, and there's there's one I really liked you called... You walked right into um, that one. <laughs> is yeah, that one of the songs? <laughs> <laughs> but there is also a song where one guy tells another guy to basically kill himself and then people will like him. It's horrifying. It's genuinely one of the worst things I've heard in a musical. Is that like a prequel to Dear Evan Hansen or something? I mean, it makes Ev Dear Evan Hansen seem less iconic. But not quite oh, unpsychotic. Wow. That is impressive. Mm. So that is on right now at the where? At the old, Young Vic. The Young Vic. Vic. Yeah. Okay. And tickets are available on? I don't know. The internet. Yeah. So you just go to the internet.com and type in Oklahoma, and two tickets will magically be yours. That's how it uh, works, yeah. All right. I found the question. Wow. Go on. Right. I found this week's question, and I know we talked about last week's question, which was the great. Uh, movie star cameos in TV shows and we said we would delay it for a week and we would discuss it on this week's show. We lied. We lied. <laughs> I am delaying it one further week and that is because this question is time sensitive. Uh, okay. And the listener question comes from Fitzsimon Roger at Fitzsimon Roger on Twitter with rumours aplenty for upcoming Doctor Strange movie cameos. Mm -hmm. What would be the silliest or the most obscure variants we could encounter. For me, that's Roger Fitzsimon, the Hoff as Nick Fury. <laughs> <laughs> so by this, uh, I take it that Roger Fitzsimon is asking about non-MCU Marvel movie characters who could appear in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is out next week and is strongly rumored to have cameos from, well, at least one non-MCU big heavy hitter, yeah. Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, so we're talking like Matt Salinger as Captain America here. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. That's that's what we all want, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Hello? Anyone? Hello? Do we? Bueller, Do we? Is, this, is this on? Hello? <laughs> Matt Salinger as Captain America. John Krasinski as Captain America because he almost got the role before they gave it to Chris Evans. Hey, point. let's go the whole hog. Have the other one in the last three. Yeah, Jensen Ackles, Captain America. <laughs> Jensen Ackles was down to the final three. I, I don't yeah. know about three, but he was he was yeah. apparently in the mix very late on, yeah. Yeah. Until he realised his nipples were too far apart. I, I don't believe they are. I may have to look again. <laughs> <laughs> You're just a girl who can't say no <laughs> to re-watching and measuring the distance between Jensen Ackles' nipples. Is he oh, the one... No, that that sounds wrong. Is he the one who's... Um, the yeah. one that you he's, like? He's Sam or Dean. Yeah, he's Dean. Okay. He's yeah. Dean. Sam or Dean. Sam or Dean. <laughs> 
He's I mean, Andor he Dec. Sa- Sanor Dean, but he is specifically <laughs> yeah. Dean. Yes. Okay, I will never learn that information as long as I live. I could watch every episode of Supernatural. Uh, I feel and, like you'd get it pretty quickly. Yeah. They're very different people. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Dean is inherently better. We should actually, though, send out some, some good vibes to Sam this week. So Jared Padalecki, the former Sam, now... Walker, Texas Ranger, mm-hmm. was in a car crash this week. And according to Jensen Ackles, um, who, who revealed this publicly, um, you know, was lucky to get out alive. I believe he's he's kind of okay and, you know, minor injuries, but um, wish him all the best and hope he's, hope he's doing all right. None of those people are going to show up in <laughs> Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness or will they? <laughs> uh, there's another great kind of, well, several great what if casting questions like near misses in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Not what if, we're talking live action. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, you know, Emily Blunt, we could have had yeah. that John Krasinski, Emily Blunt axis going Although on there. I'm still holding out hope that they are cast as Mr. and Mrs. Fantastic in the actual Fantastic Four movie. So Helen is shaking her head at no, me. No, I'm not, I'm not. But it's, you know, I feel like we've, I don't know. I feel like some things when they're rumoured that much, you get to a point where you're just like, I mean, at, at this point, if it happened, would it be a letdown? Maybe. Yeah. Listen, if it happens, it'll be great. That will I'm be great. not that will be great. 100% sure they're great casting, but that's a conversation for another time. Uh, so uh, another great casting what if uh, or near miss was uh, Glenn Howerton uh, from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, who was down to the final couple for Star-Lord. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, then obviously they went for uh, Chris Pratt in the end. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, (laughs) people who were in non-MCU Marvel movies, Helen's already said Matt Salinger, who is literally the son of J.D. Salinger and who played Captain America in the horribly shitty movie that came out in 1990, I think, post-Batman. It was one of those movies. Uh, Is there anyone else you would love to see from a previous Marvel movie? Snipes. Yeah, I was going to say, yes. Snipes and Wesley. Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel. All no, of them. Really? No, no. Yeah. Why would you what? then... Why do you why go straight to Blade like Trinity? Uh, everyone... We did not acknowledge Blade Trinity in this one. We have to talk to you about this. And Dominic, <laughs> and Dominic Purcell while we're at it. Let's have Drake in there. Let's That's do it all. Pat Oswald. Let's, Let's go do for it. it. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Everyone. It is and the best Darryl one. from The Walking Dead. He's in it too. Triple H. <laughs> you started off that answer so well with Wesley Slice. I was like, oh, yes. And then, uh, you, started, and then you continued talking. Uh, yeah. I, I started <laughs> yeah, that. Helen okay, started it. it. I get the credit for that. That's yes. right. You Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill, <laughs> yeah, honestly. You, you were the motherfucker. <laughs> and then you, you continued talking after that for some reason. Well, this is no, just Wesley Snipes only. That would be amazing. I'd love to see Wesley Snipes. Luke Goss. <laughs> you know what? He was good in that. <laughs> he was good in that. He was good in that. Okay, so Luke Goss. Uh, <laughs> as as insert name of evil vampire guy here. I used to know this. So did I. I used, I to, used know to know this. From Blade 2. Yeah. Yes. From Blade 2. Uh, okay. Daz Crawford as Lighthammer. Daz Crawford. Yes. There's a name I haven't heard in a long time. What's his name? A long time. Lighthammer. No, Luke Goss's name. Luke oh, Goss's name. Uh, Jarek. Jarek. Javik. Oh, you're just Jarek. making up names. No, then. I'm not. No. I'm not. No. You're just thinking of Jared Padalecki. I'm not thinking of Jared He's just on the Jared Padalecki. Jared That's his name. <laughs> uh, or it's no Novak. Yes, Novak. Novak, and I didn't even Jokovic. look it up. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's. A, yeah, he has a bad reaction to it. Uh, no, he'd never get an idiot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he'd never get it. In the first Luke Goss. I interviewed Luke Goss on uh, Hellboy Two. Mm. He was a lovely cool. fellow. He was good on that. Lovely yeah. fellow. Yeah, the they golden. Came, they came across very well in that documentary about Bros. 
They did come across, yeah. yeah. Although I couldn't tell which was which. Whether he was coming across better than Matt Goss is hard to tell, quite frankly. But uh, Luke Goss, says James, uh, I'm on. The Blade one was really good. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I keep pointing at you? You, you have the look of a man who wants to say, Ewan Griffith is Mr. Fantastic. Ewan Griffith? Jackman. Yes, that would be good, actually. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I liked his portrayal. I mean, the films aren't great, but I liked his okay. He is lovely. He does seem like a, he's a good dude. What? <laughs> the, be, the best piece of casting from the Fantastic Four movies is obviously Jamie Bell. Uh, as, no, <laughs> no, is Michael, Michael Chiklis. Is Chiklis, right? Chicky is the thing, definitely. Yeah. But with a with a suit that doesn't look like it's made out of rubber. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. blow everyone's minds. Have the Human Torch in there, baby. Let's have Chris Evans <laughs> pointing at himself. Yeah. Let's have uh, let's have Ryan Reynolds pointing as himself. Hannibal yeah. King from Blade Trinity. And then Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. And fuck it, let's just have Ryan Reynolds from every Ryan Reynolds yeah. movie. because no, let's not do that. Yeah, Free Guy apparently now has made it canon. It's a multiverse. Yeah. It's a multiverse. We can do anything. Um, I'm surprised that they haven't done anything like that with Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool already. And they're so just waiting far. for his film, it seems. Because it feels like a golden opportunity to just peek in. I guess it would change the entire tone of the film were he to do so. Mm -hmm. But Deadpool does have that ability. He did have that bit where he killed his Ryan old, Reynolds yeah, Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool for, for signing up to mm. Green Lantern. Yeah, so you know he, he's not and, above yeah. it. And no mouth Deadpool. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, we can have like fifteen Ryan Reynolds running around this thing. That'd that'd be tremendous. Uh, is is that your? What's your choice? Was that your choice? Ian Gufford. Why not? Uh, it's but a, I do like it's a sensational pronunciation <laughs> of Yoan Griffith. That's the multi-first version of Yoan Griffith. <laughs> Ian Griffith. Ian Griffith. <laughs> how, do, how do you pronounce it? Yoan Griffith. Billy. Yes. Wow. I went. <laughs> <laughs> I apologise to any Yoan Grufford. Is that right? Griffith. Just Yoan Griffith. Just apologise to the entire nation of Wales. Look, look, look. Look you here, Helen. We've had plenty to apologise for over the years in terms of the Welsh people and the Welsh nation on this podcast. Well, look yes. at the bloody Luke Evans. Bloody Luke Evans. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Yoan <laughs> Griffith. One man yeah. can do, another can do. We're going to kill the bear. Anyway, I want... One Ryan like... Reynolds can do, another Ryan Reynolds can do. <laughs> Sorry, Helen. That's it's right. happened. <laughs> We've gone full edge, off the edge, over the edge. I don't know, whatever. Who's the character that John Favreau plays in the Daredevil movies again? The Ben Affleck. Oh, he plays Foggy Nelson. He does. Mm. That's the one. That could be a fun. Role. Mm, that could be fun. Yeah. Foggy Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> but we could bring in Bullseye. Oh yes, the greatest oh. Colin Farrell performance in a superhero movie. Fucking guys. <laughs> there's 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 a there's a deleted scene that I put up on Twitter a few months ago, which is just the best. It's him walking through an airport. As Bullseye, I don't know why it's deleted. It's a thing of beauty. It's like 90 seconds of him, not even speaking, just doing stuff with his face as he's walking through the security at an airport. It is incredible. He does incredible do, piece of acting. Do, he does do good stuff with his face. Yeah. He does. He really does. Yeah. I have a couple. I have a couple of doozies. Mm -hmm. All right. So there's obviously Nicholas Hammond, who is the original Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, in the TV shows. Oh, sure. And is great. And he was, I think, already in his mid-50s when he played the, played the role. And so it'd be great to have him in now. But okay. mm -hmm. I'm going to go for a couple of deep cuts. Okay. Real deep cuts. Exciting. 
we're not going to resurrect anyone. Okay, so we can't sure. have Stan Lee. We can't have uh, we can't have Bill Bixby, mm-hmm. the you know the the great David Banner, not Bruce Banner in the Incredible Hulk TV show. But we can have Eric Allen Kramer, who played a really shit version of Thor in the TV movie The Incredible Hulk Returns. Yes. Would it count if we had Vincent D'Onofrio come in as Thor from Adventures in Babysitting? <laughs> that would be I like good. it. I like, what you're, I like, yeah. I like what your head's at. Uh, but no. Oh. Is that dis- Disney though? You've disappointed me. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus, I'm pretty sure. Is it on Disney Plus? I think so. You've disappointed me. Why have we disappointed you? I thought you, your go-to for this would be Big Liam. Why Big Liam? Dark Man. Dark Man? Yeah. Is Dark James, Man I don't want... Is that uh, not an... Is that... That's, no. that's not a Marvel. No, it's... It's a, not a Marvel. It's an original creation. Isn't it? I thought that was a Marvel. No. Oh, well, that's disappointing. That's ruined everything. <laughs> no. I mean, it is a multiverse, so I'm saying it's fair game. And as you know, my theory is that every movie is a post made post Darkman is a Darkman sequel. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> so it is connected. Yeah, yeah. we just don't I, know. This 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 is a revelation to me. For some reason, I thought that was I thought that was a a comic, which it isn't, and no. B, that it was a Marvel. No, so it's uh, absolutely not. Yeah. Wow. So wow. you learn something new every day. It's like the three fact structure <laughs> has just big crashed this segment. But I was going to say. Uh, so you can bring in Eric Allen Kramer, who plays Thor. Have you ever seen these TV movies? So whenever oh. they brought back the Incredible Hulk, the, the Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno. Incredible. Is it Lou Ferrigno or Ferrigno? Ferrigno. Ferrigno. Yeah, while well, we're yeah. getting pronunciations right. <laughs> is it Lou Ferrigno or Lou Ferrigno? He's a good friend of uh, Groen, Yoen, Ian Grufford. Groen, 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 Groen. I really said that with such confidence. Oh yeah, Ian Grufford. No, that's brilliant. brilliant. You gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta, if you don't know, you just yeah. gotta take commit. a run at it. You gotta, gotta go for it. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. I have no idea if I pronounce Helen's name right. <laughs> it's too late to ask. I'm very Catholic. So <laughs> it's too late to ask. Anyway... Uh, so they brought these. They brought the the Hulk back with uh, uh, Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno in. The, I want to say the late eighties, early nineties, as a series of TV movies. And this is back in the day when Marvel were quite frankly catastrophic in terms of their <laughs> yeah. licensing and selling rights off to people. Uh, if you just smiled at Marvel in the nineteen eighties and went "Hello, Marvel," they would give you one of their characters in perpetuity. It seemed anyway. There were three TV movies. There was The Incredible Hulk Returns. There was The Trial of The Incredible Hulk. And there was The Death of The Incredible Hulk. Now, in The Incredible Hulk Returns, he meets the shittest version of Thor you will ever see (laughs) in your life. And that is played by Eric Alan Kramer, the aforementioned Eric Alan Kramer. In The Trial of The Incredible Hulk, what do you think happens to David Banner in that? What do you think... What do you think happens to that? Do you think he maybe goes on trial? Well, I, I never got that from it, but I guess if you say so. Okay, take it from me. He goes on trial. Okay. He gets served Damn. by Jason Sudeikis and he has <laughs> to go on trial. So, he might need a lawyer, right? Oh, no. He might need a lawyer. Does he call his cousin? A really good lawyer. <laughs> oh, he calls Daredevil, huh? He calls Matt Murdock, played by Rex Smith. And also in that, I mean, I've seen these years and years ago, they are lamentably shitty. Uh, <laughs> Also in that is a certain Wilson Fisk, played by none other than John Rhys-Davies. Oh, no, that I would like to see. That would be kind of cool. Those are the people I hope are in it. Uh, anyone else? Any last minute 
things. I no, like I've contributed. We're good. Helen has contributed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and that's all we film, can hope for. The film isn't great, but Ben Affleck as Daredevil, the director's hey. cut in the movie is actually not too I like the film. I like yeah. the film. I don't, mind, I don't mind the film. It's good. Yeah. It's fine. No one throwing in the cage as Ghost Rider? No. no. <laughs> that film has the odd good moment as well I just want to say it's, it's, really where I love Nick Cage yeah. but no there's many there's mo- okay there's multiple many many moments tell you what instead of Nick Cage's Ghost Rider here's a, here's a suggestion oh. Sam Elliott as Ghost Rider oh I thought you were going to go Gabriel Luna yeah I mean him well, too well, but yeah. But yeah, well, well, well that was one of the really good moments in that film where both his Ghost Rider and Nicholas Cage's Ghost Rider are fully rided up. I'm saying rider way too much. Um, but they're riding, they're riding to San Vanguarda together while Riders in the Sky is yeah. playing in the background. Yeah. That's an awesome what? scene. He, he also, he's not talking about Gabriel Luna, he's talking about Sam Elliott. Oh, yeah. okay. There's also the scene, I was going to say, because that's a crossover I never saw. There's also the scene, the scenes where the Hell Cycle is riding up a building and riding on water and riding down the building. It's really good. So accurate, like a documentary. Good. <laughs> Nah, there's some really cool stuff in the first Ghost Rider. It's not a great film. Even the, the first Transformation, I think, is actually pretty well done as well. The transformation is good. Would you cast, would you bring back in uh, Silver Surfer as played by Doug Jones, but voiced by no, Fish? No, because I want Keanu to play Silver Surfer. I've been on the record of saying that many times. Um, but Are, I, are I, you I, insane? Yeah. Are you an insane what? person? He can, he can surf. This is, hey, well, so what? <laughs> Lots of people can serve. Part of the job description in it. No, that's um, not yeah, how I like picture. He's, he's a he's a seraphic godlike being. So I, who do you think of? You think of I Keanu? I don't picture him sounding like Keanu. I don't. When I, I, I whenever Silver yeah. Surfer opens his mouth, I don't hear whoa. I well, don't. No, I don't hear that. If you think about Keanu in sort of, and I realize this isn't his greatest film, but you know, Day the Earth Stood Still mode. The problem I think with really with casting Keanu as Silver Surfer is then you're casting bold Keanu. Which is not the best flavor of Keanu. <laughs> well, you're not. You're just casting mocap Keanu. Yeah, I know, but still, like hairless Keanu, and and again, not the best flavor of Keanu. Mm-hmm. So we need someone who doesn't have any hair, who has a commanding but beatific tone. Kevin Feige, I'm available. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know anyone like that? Anyone? Anyone at all in this room? The Rock. Oh, it's, oh, sorry, you mean... The Rock. I mean, I mean, I mean either of us could really do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. so. uh, all right. Any other uh, Marvel movies I'm missing out from the, yeah, the, the post-Blade? Uh, we haven't even oh, talked oh, about the X-Men. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I was going to say, I was just about to say. Yeah. Nightcrawler. Either yes. or both Nightcrawlers. I mean, I will only oh, accept no. the one true Nightcrawler, which is Alan Cumming. No, I yeah. know, yeah. but consider the flock of seagulls haircut and the little thriller jacket. He's no. so cute, though. No, no, oh, he's so adorable. No. He was the best thing in that film by a country mile. <laughs> he, of course, being Cody Smith McVie. He, he, of course, yeah. being Cody Smith. The film McVie. being X Men Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, we don't talk about the film, but yeah. he was delightful in it. He was such a good presence, and everything around him was so bad. Yeah, the opening scene of X Men Two is still one of the oh, best so scenes. Yes, and no one is arguing movie. against coming. Yeah. Like yeah. coming is fantastic. I'm just saying I could have both. The well, Helen, <laughs> <laughs> she's just a girl who can't say no. Uh, oh, there's boy. loads more X Men to uh, to delve into, but after that dissection of coming. Um, <laughs> I think uh, celebration, if you will, of coming. Uh, we should probably move on because we could get bogged down in this question for a long, long time because we haven't even really talked about all three of Bruce Campbell's cameos in um, the Spider-Man movies. Or let's leave it that way. We've yeah. talked about them McAvoy a and Fassbender. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, he's about to show up in Doctor Strange as well. He is. He is Bruce Campbell. 
If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast, we are sorted for next week. I promise you we're going to do that movie star cameos in TV shows question next week. I promise you. Uh, but if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast after that, you can get in touch with us via Twitter. I'm on Twitter as at Chris Hewitt, at least for the time being, <laughs> until <laughs> I'm waiting for an offer from Elon Musk to leave the uh, the, the website. Uh, so get in touch with me, slide into my DMs as indeed Roger Fitzsimon, uh, as he did. Uh, or you can reply to any of my tweets or wait for a panicked shout-out every now and again. All right, so it's Downton Abbey 2 on the buses week this week on the podcast. And uh, to celebrate the arrival, I was going to say coming, but that's now been ruined, uh, to <laughs> yeah, celebrate the you, arrival... <laughs> well, <laughs> you spoke to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly you're getting inside information. Um, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate the arrival of Downton Abbey 2 Electric Boogaloo I don't know the name of the film <laughs> A New, a new era. era A New Era Thank you To celebrate the arrival of Downton Abbey Is it just Downton Abbey or Downton Abbey Downton 2? Downton Abbey colon, colon A, a new, new Era, era. <laughs> Okay To celebrate the arrival of Downton Abbey colon A New Era Is that because someone gets a new colon? Sure Because they're all old <laughs> I just assumed really. Some uh, of them are Some of them Okay <laughs> Helen here Hi. Huge Downton fan. Like Happy Hogan <laughs> levels of Downton uh, worship. It's because they align with her politics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she loves, Helen loves two things. The British <laughs> and the upper classes. That's right. Yeah. The ruling classes of this yeah. country. Tory Helen, that's what we you call You bring that. those two together. Oh, God. Anywho... Anyhow. Helen here spoke to the two two of the stars because it's packed with stars. Mm, many, with stars. many people. Hugh Bonnevillage, Deja Vu from Top Secret, Maggie Smith. They're all in this movie. But Helen was lucky enough to speak to Laura Carmichael who plays Lady Edith, Edith yeah. the Marchioness, Marchioness of Hexham. <laughs> and Toppins Middleton who plays... Lucy Smith as was. And she was in the last one? She which was. I saw yeah. and quite, quite liked. Yes. Mm. Turns out she is of semi-noble birth. And not the lady's maid she appeared to be. That's dun, dun, dun. right. That yeah. is yeah, she right. Got she is Maud's natural born daughter. She got adopted by Imelda Staunton last time. So now she's yes. posh. And then she married Tom, who wasn't posh, but then married somebody posh. That's so has a posh right. daughter, but it's well, not Well, Tom, of course, posh. was the, yeah, he was the, the, the chauffeur. I know. But he married Lady Sybil. And he, yeah. there was the wild was gonna, subplot with the IRA. To the end. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It was a very bad subplot. Yeah, that wasn't, anyway, the, that wasn't Downton at his finest. That doesn't oh. happen this time. Here we go. Helen talking to Laura Carmichael and Toppins Middleton. I don't know why I'm doing that. Uh, Toppins Middleton, do please enjoy. All right. Hello, Toppins. Hello, Laura. How are you doing? Hi. Good, thanks. How are awesome. you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, I took my parents to see this last week because I got the assignment last minute and they were in town. So we had to get special permission for them to come along. So yeah. this this seems like a perfect kind of family film, right? Yeah. Yes, I think uh, not only is it a perfect family film, it's one of those things you can see with any generation. Mm. I think it's also really great timing that it's coming out now. Mm. I think people are feeling so much less nervous to to go back into the cinema and also really excited to to see something that's uplifting after mm. the difficult few years we've had. Yeah, I mean, this this was something that, that Julian's talked about. So I don't think it's a spoiler to say that this is quite a feel good movie. You know, there is there is a lot to love in here. It's 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 maybe actually there's probably if anything sort of less high drama than last time. You know, that last time there were sort of terrorist attacks and things going on. This one is there is drama, but it's of a very different nature. Yeah, I think that's right. I and mean, 
we are some of the lucky cast that got to go to the south of France. So I think, yeah, after the years that everyone's had, it does feel nice to sort of escape and travel with the Crawleys to somewhere very beautiful. And yeah, for us, it felt like that shooting it. I mean, I was I was going to ask, who was it who refused to come back unless they got a trip to the south of France? I mean, I know there's got to be one of you, right? <laughs> I think we were all furiously checking the script just yeah. to to see which of us got to go. Um, yeah, we, we we definitely felt very lucky. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a, it's really uplifting, like you say, this time around. And, and what was nice for us is that we spent so much of the time in the south of France, especially in the second half of the shoot, that mm. we didn't really get to see any of the film within a film storyline uh, mm. that was going on at, at High Clear whilst we were there. So to go back and watch the screening and see all that was really fun. It's such a funny mm. storyline and it's so, um, yeah, it, it was actually really nice to have have that, that we, yeah. we, we didn't really know what was going on on the other <laughs> side of the story. Yeah. I suppose that's quite unusual because most of the time you are based, you know, more or less in the same place. I mean, Laura, you've been doing, at High Clear probably more than the residents yeah. at this point. Yeah, I mean, we're there a lot, but then the, the downstairs cast are all at Ealing. So it does mm. often have this sort of split schedule. And even with this, we started at Ealing. So I think Leslie was wrapped before we started. So, yeah. you know, Mrs. Patmore might have had, I think, one or two days at High Clear. Um, so it's it's always a bit like that. But yeah, the the France added an extra level of who's working when checking the schedule. kind yeah. of Because <laughs> there was rumours going around the cast, you know, that we go to France and everyone's getting excited and planning their trip. And then you read it and you go, Oh, <laughs> only half of the cast are going to France. So we were, and it was almost lucky. Scotland because oh, yeah. it was very touch and go with COVID travel restrictions. Um, if we could go to France or not. So mm. there was a plan B that we would go and film it in Scotland, which would have meant Alan and I swimming in the sea yeah. in, I don't know, when was it? April or oh, May God, or something. Yeah. So it would have been pretty cold. So I think we were all, very relieved that we eventually got to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a little bit more glamorous and exotic. I mean, no disrespect yeah. to the Scots, but I, yeah. I feel like they they'd agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was there any bad feeling in the cast then about people who didn't get to go to France? <laughs> were were you getting the evil stares from anybody? No, but there was a lot of jealousy. And then but then when this sort of panic came of like, you know, it may not happen, I think then everyone was going, oh. So all of you smug guys, you've been yeah. planning, buying, purchasing your swimsuits and now yeah, buying a new hat. The thing yeah. is, it was also, you know, very unclear at first how the quarantine mm. rules would work, um, whether we would go there and have to stay in a hotel room for 10 days and not leave those four walls. But in the end, it, it worked out that we were yeah. all in a hotel, the cast and crew were all in the hotel, we were all tested and we could leave our rooms, but not the hotel. And so we were in a kind of giant bubble, which was actually really nice. We felt a bit guilty nice. because it was... Yeah, but it was also kind of like a little bit like being in a home or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we all had dinner together. Yeah. And what are you having and I'll sit with them tonight. And so it was really surreal and, uh, but really joyful. You yeah. know, we had quizzes and... <laughs> Um, screenings, screenings yeah. of movies outside we watched Natalie Bay's film Day for Night um, and which was just an incredible experience outside under the stars in the south of France um, watching Natalie and so it was really really amazing that's awesome I was going to ask you know what what does the cast of Downton watch when they're together you know is, is it do you get as far away as possible or are you all watching like science fiction or something just just to mix it up it was yeah so we did that screening and then we yeah. also there was I mean, um, was it the World Cup? Was oh, it? yeah, that's right. So oh. we, the, 
There was some uh, group football yeah. watching experiences yeah, in one of the rooms the hotel set up for us, which was great. And there was a bit of Wimbledon. Yes, point. important. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so those sorts of things. But yeah, it's so lovely when you travel um, with your crew and your cast because it does feel like you're all on this, like a really nice school trip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and you do revert to fun. being about 11 because yeah. it's kind of really strange to be on this mass <laughs> kind of almost holiday with your work colleagues <laughs> yeah but we but you did have some work I mean no spoilers again but you yes. you're both on on screen in this film so um <laughs> so let's talk about your characters so I mean what was striking to me about Lady Edith this time is it's it's actually quite a relatable story for her, given that she's extremely posh and extremely rich and everything else. Yeah. She's she's you know this is a very modern kind of relatable woman story. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So she's she's had her baby. Her and Bertie have had a baby boy called Peter, who who we never meet because he's with a fabulous nanny <laughs> who she talks about. Um, but you see how in the movie Bertie is really encouraging her to go back to work and. She talked about that in the last film and, and it's great that Julian's picked that up. She wants to get back to, to working and to writing. And so when this sort of mysterious story comes out about Violet and the, this villa in the south of France, it sort of um, gets her journalistic um, brain whirring and she wants to write an article about how people are vacationing in the south of France, which was a new thing uh, at this time. Um, she talks about Coco Chanel and Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda who were making it fashionable and famous. So it's a great opportunity to sort of uh, make it a work trip, which uh, <laughs> I love, expensive. And uh, yeah, so it, it's the, an amazing thing to see at this time um, how this character that we know through the series has, has found purpose and found a job um, and found something that she's good at. She doesn't want to give that up, even though she's become a mother for the second time. And um, yeah, she really has won the husband lottery, I think, with Bertie, who is so keen to encourage her and her mother, Cora. So it, it's it's a really nice story for Edith. Yeah. And, and it's pretty nice for Lucy as well, because this is kind of a honeymoon story, really. Yeah, I think she sort of gets a second honeymoon and also gets a pretty impressive house out of it and I think that you know her sort of journey from the first film where she's trying to find her place in this world that is familiar to her but that she doesn't quite feel a part of to then this to to being fully accepted into this kind of upper class society along with someone else who who carries that same sense of responsibility and guilt about what to do with this new privilege then I think Tom and Lucy face some big decisions about how they how they're going to approach this. It's a really beautiful, uh, generous gift, um, which of course is going to Sibby and not necessarily to Lucy directly, but you know, uh, mm. it, it's it's uh, her and Tom who will take care of it. And so I think that it, as, as wonderful as it is and as great as the sort of holiday part is that where they go to actually look at the villa and see what their future could look like, it's also um, a lot of responsibility for both of them to take on and they, they take that decision very seriously. Hmm. Yeah, they're, they're quite a sort of um, conflicted couple. They, they've sort of become rich in spite of themselves, I feel like. Yeah, it was n- not really the plan. I think neither <laughs> of them um, had necessarily wanted that. And, and I think that it becomes that much more important for them to do something constructive with it and to um, to challenge some of the ways in which these big houses are run and 
and to make it somewhere which is inclusive and that the whole family can come and use every summer. Um, yeah, so I, I think that it's nice that they found each other because they there's that shorthand. They immediately understand the the mm. struggle, which of course mm. to many of us from the outside doesn't look like a struggle. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it you know there are there are there's a certain amount of guilt that that comes with um, a gift like that, and so they're trying their best to manage it at the same time. <laughs> Very excited. Good luck to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, how did the villa, I mean, the villa was stunning. How did that compare to other locations that you've had in, in the series and in the, the other film? I mean, it's just so stunning. I mean, it's definitely the most beautiful place I've ever shot. Um, <laughs> um, and it really, I think it has an effect on you and you can see how it would have an effect on the characters that um, being in, this beautiful location they feel so much more relaxed and at ease somehow they're not in the um kind of stiff shirted environment of high care castle um so yeah i think it affects them all really yeah yeah um i don't i don't generally ask actresses about costumes because i feel like you get more costume <laughs> questions than the men do but i do have to in this case i mean it feels like that would have been more difficult maybe with the costumes this time just the heat and and those kind that kind of era well yeah, I mean, luckily they, I think they took that into consideration before mm. because suddenly the costumes felt a bit lighter, the mm. materials were a bit lighter and floatier. But yeah, I think... I think the guys kind of had it harder in a way because they're yeah. still in their suits. Yeah, but yeah I think, I think they, she, Anna Robbins, she responded to that environment and mm. and showed those these new trends of the kind of vacation wardrobe, if you like, which is, uh, I mean, I loved. And I, I did feel really comfortable. I was in these sort of silk trousers very loose and flowy and uh i it some of the the best costumes yeah. i've had on the show <laughs> so beautiful yeah so you didn't suffer like carson's then that's brilliant. no no i mean it was very hot there was a there was a really long dinner scene we had to do in in the baking sunshine yeah. for about two days straight with seafood platter which was slowly <laughs> on the turn yeah um as each hour went by but um I mean, it, it wasn't a hardship. We got this, we had this beautiful view out onto the mm. ocean from the villa and it was, yeah, it was pretty nice because also we'd been locked in our houses basically for the, yeah. the, the two years prior to that. And I don't think anyone had had anything close to a, a holiday or seen mm. the sunshine like that for a long time. So it was really surreal to be there. And I think we all felt very lucky to, mm. to just be able to travel. Mm. Yeah. I think I think that's been everyone's reaction, hasn't it been the last sort of year as, as things have eased up somewhat. Um, but I mean, you know, you, you you say going back and obviously, you know, sort of half of you were there, half of you in in the studio were in High Clear and, and a few scenes with everybody together. But you know, do you come away ever frustrated from this this show and these films in terms of I wish I had more scenes with that person or this person, or you know, I feel like I've we've never gotten to hang out on set. we we only hang out sort of off set. Do you do you have those kind of moments? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're always wishing, you know, more opportunities to hang out with with the others and and work across the board. I mean, I feel like the footmen are the people that are there all the time. Yeah, yeah. So they hang <laughs> out with, with everyone. everyone. Um, but probably not doing the satisfying scenes with Maggie. You know, they're yeah. sort of giving her, sort of serving her or taking her coat. So, yeah, there's always that feeling, I guess, that goes through that. But then I think because it's such a big cast and, and mm. for example on this one because we were traveling together then you do get to spend a lot of time mm. with people offset even if you don't have anything to do with them your characters yeah. don't have anything to do with each other on screen so that that was really nice getting to know people Absolutely. outside you know especially for 
me having come in just for the the films then it's it's really nice then you get time with people and you mm. kind of um you know everyone's so close so it's really nice to sort of get to know people better <laughs> yeah and i think there's probably more stories in this film of the kind of um of the leveling you know of the within the house because of the film crew coming in and the film stars coming in they they sort of um trump everyone <laughs> you know the movie stars arriving and and they don't have any concern for the the rules of the aristocracy and the way that we do things, which is what brings so much comedy to the film. And I loved seeing Daisy sort of chat to the yeah. film stars. It's one of my favorite bits in the film. And yeah, they're really involved in the upstairs and you see the servants um, take over the house and in some ways without giving anything away, but it, there's lots of crossover in this film that maybe there, there isn't in some of the other stories at Downton. Mm-hmm. So what what do you see as, a, as the future for Downton? Do you think there'll be more films? Do you think it'll go back to TV ever? I don't know. It's so we always treat it like that's it and say goodbye and then you end up turning up <laughs> again. <laughs> um, so I don't know. It feels like a really lovely conclusion. But yeah. I think he always does that with also, you know, you'd still be interested to see where they are. So it really always comes down to, how the fans respond yeah, and how Yeah, if there's an appetite for it. I think mm. that was always the the case with the idea of a second film was, well, it, it, it could potentially be left open mm. to it, but it depends if people love it, want to watch it. And, you know, mm. there's there's a hunger for another, then uh, I yeah. suppose why not? But then it's, you know, you just yeah. never know. See how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I guess, like, historically speaking, you're getting into a tricky era because, you know, I think I think we're still in 1929, are we? I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it it will be interesting, and that's the thing—you can't help but be intrigued by what he'd do. Um, and yeah, we 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 still think about it. Is once you've you've got to know these characters, you imagine what would happen in those mm. those years. But um, it will be up to Julian if he if he has the time. As yeah. we mentioned, he's always busy, so we'll see. Yeah, I guess there's two possibilities I want to pitch you. Number one, a Gilded Age crossover. One of you, probably you, Laura, play young Maggie Smith. What do you think? Oh, that would be great. Yeah, sure. I mean, no no pressure. No pressure, no. <laughs> <laughs> Easiest job in the world, can't imagine. I mean, if this is the new era, second idea, yeah. next generation. You've all got kids now, you know. Mm. Uh, it, you could just sort of hop 40 years in the future, come back to Downton, and one of you essentially in a few years, many years, play the yeah. Dowager Countess as as now is. A lot of heavy prosthetics and, <laughs> and a whole new host of actors. That, that sounds fun. Yeah, well, maybe. And I guess that'd be the thing is that if you were, you know, the young young actor now, you'd be going, I need to pitch the show that they could play George. Yeah. I mean, yeah. on whatever generation that would be. Yeah. With either a kind of, yeah, grand old Michelle Probably no prosthetics with a different <laughs> actors. But yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That would be the, the next era of the show, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the next new era. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay, we'll just get you and Michelle title. to come along and do some old lady acting. <laughs> We're very good. Um, well, listen, thank, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, and yeah, you know, I hope, ever, hope we see you again for Downton Abbey, a new, new era um, <laughs> in a few more years. Excellent. Good luck thank with the pitch. So much. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. 
Okay, so that was Laura Carmichael and Topman Middleton, and we will be talking about Downton Colon, a new abbey, later on in the show. Very, very exciting indeed. Plus, we'll be talking to Julian Fellows. And if you want even more Downton Abbey, we have decided, in a fit of what can only be described as madness, (laughs) to do a spoiler special on Downton Abbey, A New Era. And that will be out in your pod feeds in the next three weeks or so. Should we talk about movie news? Yeah. Why not? Let's do it. All right. Is there any? Yes, there is. Avatar 2 has a title. It is Avatar colon A New Era. And no, it's not. It is Avatar colon the way of water and no what is the way of water is that similar mm. to the shape of water or is that yes <laughs> there'd be presumably less fish fucking in this one but I mean, uh what's yes the, uh, Catherine Bigelow film that has water in the title was it, oh uh, the, weight the weight of, of, water. of water so now okay. years later in fact 22 years later Catherine Bigelow's ex-husband James Cameron is doing the way of water it's a crossover <laughs> do you think yeah it's a solid title but I have a more important question the poster font is it still papyrus or have they changed it? <laughs> I'm not asking for me, I'm asking I for Ryan Gosling. Papyrus. Yes. It looks slightly different, doesn't it? I need to there's actually a post of There is a well there's a there's a title treatment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it doesn't look full papyrus to me. It looks something closer to the font they used for Moana. So I think they may have taken on board make the way, mockery. Make way. <laughs> Yeah. For Avatar The Way of Water. Also, they're releasing or re-releasing Avatar in theatres in September. So people can <laughs> brush up on that because it's been a while. Oh, so and they're also, just trying to make sure it really overtakes, um, yeah. stays yeah, yeah. ahead of anything. But also people will remember what 3D is as well because <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> so we need to have 3D back. But, but, but this, is a, this is an interesting part of this as well because Cameron brought essentially 3D to cinemas and then everyone else ruined it by just making films shit and charging yeah. more and making mm-hmm. them look awful. Mm-hmm. So he's clearly going to do all of these four Avatar sequels in 3D and bring that back. And the question is, will this be one of these things where we're just going to watch these Avatar films in 3D because that's the way he intended and they will look fantastic in 3D or is it going to start a second wave of this, you know, upselling cinemas and 3D conversions and nonsense? It's interesting, isn't it? Because it was fascinating first time around to see the, the both the 3D exploitation mm-hmm. films, some of which were fun. I will absolutely stand by Journey to the Centre of the Earth, which I think was really good fun, right? 3D exploitation all over the place, but but entertainingly done. Lots of very bad 3D as well. And then you had the people who seemed to pick up a camera and know exactly how to do it, like Hugo, um, the Scorsese film, like Spielberg with Tintin. So, you know, if they can do 3D well, if it gets people back into cinemas, maybe, you know, maybe they, there will mm. be that temptation to make it Because we got to that point wave. where we also have a time we thought it was amazing in 3D and then it wasn't long like six months afterwards there was that oh we're going to see a film is it in 3D the eye rolling If they, oh it's yeah. a 3D fucking hell because they just they, it was so unnecessary and I think also it had that point where especially if you're on an IMAX screen if you're watching something in 3D and I had this with Warcraft not that I think it would have saved it otyerwise but <laughs> if you're off centre yeah. like 3D really fucks you because it yeah. throws it out of focus as well so it's like it's not it's not great but yeah I remember when we went to those 3D IMAX screenings we were always kind of scrambling for the good seats where you yeah, could actually yeah, see clearly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Avatar in 3D was magnificent. Incredible, yeah. absolutely incredible. And it, it, there it really was about depth and not about, yeah. you know, Not things coming out, it was about you, drawing yeah. you in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd be intrigued to see Avatar colon The Way of Water in 3D. I'm not sure 
anything I, else. Yeah, yeah, I'm really not. But he's going to do I'm, high frame I'm, rate as well, isn't he? It's not just going to yeah, be 3D. Um, it's going to be 3D and it's going to be think, in like a thousand frames a second. So. A thousand the, frames a second. I think one of the worst film screenings I can remember going to was the screening for the first Hobbit oh, Yeah, oh, and it looked like a BBC uh, draw. What it was, was so bad. This is the thing, isn't it? That the grammar of cinema is 24 frames a second. That's what we're used to. We're used to the fact that, and you know, it is objectively worse than high frame because when it pans, it judders and it's unclear and it's blurry. The judder man. That's, yeah. <laughs> but that's what we now understand of as cinematic. So when you see it in high frame rate, it just looks weird. And the worst experience I had with this was the Gem oh God, Gemini Man, which I think was in 3D and it was in high frame rate. And the effects in it are so bad as well. And just all of these things. I'm like, if you're going to do effects like that, for fuck's sake, put it in 24 frames a second. No one needs to see that in 120 frames a second or whatever it was because it just emphasized how terrible it looked. Um, but I suspect this these films, I should say, these four films, will look fantastic. And I wonder whether this might do for frame rate what Avatar did for 3D and actually might open the door to people accepting If anyone can, it will, be, it will be Cameron. But mm. the fear is, again, you know, it's exactly what you're saying. It's going to be the lesser imitators who screw it up. So unless you get a Scorsese and mm. a Spielberg, it's almost like if you could control the technology and only give it to the good people until it was established then these things might have more yeah. of a chance. Yeah. In terms of getting people back in cinemas, I'm not sure about that because cinema tickets are expensive enough already. You start adding now 3D coming back, added price on top of that, it's just going to be... It's not that 3D's well, gone away. 3D it, is still, is still is here. Yeah. I mean, have we got 4DX at the Cineworld? But when yeah. was the last time I saw a 3D film? I mean, it's been I've, years. It's been well, that's, years. that's choice, but they're, they're, the, the choice they is them. out there. You can still buy 3D. Genuinely didn't know you that. You can buy 3D tickets. Did not know that. When we saw when we saw 40x, 40x mm -hmm. is 3D, isn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, but that's 40x and with people like like spitting on you and stuff. Yes, which I didn't particularly enjoy. <laughs> uh, but uh, although coming is fantastic, should, <laughs> <laughs> it was an X Men two. Yes, screen. yes, yes. yes, yes, yes. Make so that, you get to see like huge stars yeah. like Ian Grufford on screens like that. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I can't wait. It was it was it was great. Anyway, so anyway, the way of water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, 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 the point about 3D. Yeah, point about 3D is. I've soured on it immensely to the point where if you go to a press screening or even like a preview of 20 minutes of footage for an upcoming movie and they hand you 3D glasses Ugh. as you go in, my heart sinks. Mm. And I'm hopeful that Avatar, The Way of Water, which wouldn't be the title I would have gone with. But then again, I'm not intimately acquainted with the, the story Indeed. or the production process. Yeah. So that's let the title go it feels a bit strange and, and maybe a bit flowery right now, but maybe in a year's time we'll know exactly mm. what he was talking about. Because my, and I think you probably share my view on this because I think we've talked about it before, but like my, my least favourite Twitter take at the moment is the, oh, Avatar, is that the one with the shitty blue people? Oh, mm. so who who wants to see one sequel, let alone four? I do, motherfucker, because that film was incredible. The, the Stephen Grant agrees, agrees with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's terrific, it's terrific. It's great, love, love yeah. Avatar, it's great. The take that really infuriates me, because we've had this conversation before in the mm -hmm. podcast about Avatar's cultural footprint and how it's the biggest movie of all time, yeah. still the biggest movie of all time. Billion dollars. Absolutely. It was a phenomenon, phenomenon. Uh, <laughs> to the likes of which we have rarely seen. Yeah. It, you know, it was, it was even bigger than Titanic was. Titanic was, was an incredible thing it was to just Titanic live amongst through. the stars. It was, <laughs> it was. It really was. It's, it's passengers on... <laughs> passengers on Pandora. Titanic is passengers on the sea, isn't it? That's basically, that's basically what it is. Uh, but my, my point is, 
My point is, this is such a huge movie and was such a huge phenomenon in 2009 and 2010 because it obviously crossed over into 2010 quite a bit. And there seems to have been almost like a collective loss of memory that's all been wiped from our minds in a way because the, the, the biggest take, the most infuriating take that I, I saw today and I saw it a couple of times today on Twitter was, oh, how did this awful movie get a sequel? Um, okay, well awful is your opinion I, I think you should probably go back and, and watch the movie which whilst not being my favourite James Cameron movie by uh, any stretch is a piece of filmmaking on a level that very very few filmmakers can mm-hmm. even dream of let alone touch yeah. you can have your quibbles all day long with the story or the script although those again are deliberately cultivated and, and written in that way to to appeal to the mm. the greatest number of people Cameron's not fucking around he knows what he is doing with this stuff and on a technical level, Avatar remains mind-blowing. I still prefer Aliens, I still prefer The Terminators, mm-hmm. I still prefer True Lies, but it is absolutely mind-blowing as a piece of cinema. But, you know, hey, if you think it's terrible, that's okay. That is on you. But if you don't quite see how the biggest film of all time begets some sequels, then I don't know what to do with you. But equally, like he's so used to this. Like, do you remember Avatar Day? Do you remember this? Before mm-hmm. Avatar came out, they had Avatar Day, where he showed the footage in 3D, and the backlash to that was enormous. This is shit. Nonsense. Because I interviewed Cameron right after that, and he was quite crestfallen about the reaction, quite irritated by it. But I think he was confident enough, and he knew that he was going to prove them wrong. He knew what he had. And, and he mm-hmm. knew exactly what he had, because they doubted him with Titanic. He's been doubted at every stage in his career, and the man has never made a bad film. I hold to the fact that Piranha 2 this morning is, is not, not his, his film. film. Yes. Uh, you know, he's an incredible filmmaker. He's a visionary filmmaker, one of the great visionaries. Uh, and I love all his stuff, but I, do, I think it's because he does these sort of multi-quadrant films, like Titanic, like uh He does like five-quadrant films. Yeah, that's, five, that's a good, yeah. He's such a visionary. He has six, seven-quadrant films. <laughs> Uh, and there seems to be that because they're not just one thing because they have a very broad appeal that somehow they're seen as not cool also I mean part of that is the fact that you know one of the two of the quadrants that he refers to you're referring to are female he makes films that women like big blockbuster films that women also like and that some men inherently think that isn't cool. Mm. And and so if there's a love story in the film, yeah. that's inherently the worst part of the film. They can't, they can't but also it's like men can't enjoy a love story. Like, I love yeah, a love they, story. Of, well, you know, mm. you, this is a weird thing about you. You have this like one little glimpse of humanity in you. It's bizarre. But um, but yeah, exactly that. I think there, there are these people who, and it was the same with Titanic. They're like, oh, well, yeah, I like the guy hitting the propeller, but oh, them falling oh, in love they're was all a bit kissing. Shit, oh, it? disgusting yeah, girl kissing. smell. Mm. It's like, get yeah. over it. You're not seven. Look, that was a private tech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, aside from all the technical stuff, which I'm very excited to see how James Cameron is up his game yet again. I'm just excited to see Quaritch again. I yes. love that villain. He is so, Slang. so great. One of the greatest introductory sequences for a character ever, in my opinion. It's so great. Because he has that line, you're not in Kansas anymore. You're in Pandora. And there's a whole speech as he welcomes Everything the new troops. Everything wanting to kill you. He yeah. will take your, your eyes, eyes for Jujubees. Yeah. It's so great. And that's I the love whole that. pattern thing in front of that big sort of flag-looking yeah. ventilator. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's a fantastic character. So just on that level, I'm excited. I didn't even I'm, know what Jujubees were. Neither did I, actually. <laughs> I'm excited to just see how they have brought him back because last time yeah. I checked, he was well dead. Very yeah. dead. Super yeah. dead. Yeah. Yeah. Super, yeah. super dead. Super but of course, we're all really here for the return of 
Parker Selfridge, uh, <laughs> Giovanni Ribisi playing golf in his office. That's right. uh, but uh, one last thing on Avatar, the way of water, as we will now be contractually bound to refer to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. James was saying about how when Avatar, the, the, kind of the first footage came out and the first images of the Navi and the effects came out in 2009 and everyone kind of went, oh, this looks a bit shit. And didn't really see what was coming in terms of the box office juggernaut. It became... I've already seen people doubting it already and I've, I've seen several people going, this movie's going to bomb or it's not going to do that well and I'm not going to make any grand predictions along the lines of it's going to be the biggest film of all time or it's going to make $2 billion or anything like that. But the footage was shown yesterday at CinemaCon, which is the big convention for cinema exhibitors in the States and it's basically, it's basically their, their canary down the coal mine uh, for all the studios and they show them the exhibitors their wares and they say hey we've got you guys don't worry cinema's not going to go away and Cameron showing that footage seems to have got them in a tizzy and seems to have got the industry in a tizzy as well because apparently the uh, the exhibitors were blown away by the trailer which is out next week what's that? <laughs> Variety just tweeted Alan Cumming offering $10,000 reward for any info on missing chimpanzee <laughs> well Cumming is I mean Cumming what is do you fantastic. even do with that <laughs> oh god that may be the greatest tweet in the history of the world I look that's amazing. That that movie news has blown all other movie news. We were we were going to discuss Justin Lin leaving Fast X. We were going to discuss some other stuff, Batman Two, other things they announced. But Alan Cumming yeah. is offering ten. I was going to finish my point, but the point is so boring now because we live in a world where Alan Cumming is offering ten thousand dollars in exchange for information about. Just a missing chimpanzee, or any, it is missing, any chi- missing chimpanzee. Any miss- I could do that. I could do that. Actually, it's his co-star. Apparently, his, his chimpanzee co-star. I don't, I'm, not, I'm unclear why he's, why he's starring in at the moment. Uh, a remake of Any Which Way <laughs> I don't know. Hey, that was an orangutan. I know, I know. It was Clyde, but I'm just saying. You know, maybe they've updated it. <laughs> this, is, this is wild is there a hotline do you have to dial 0800 coming or something <laughs> what just saying who knows my point is about Avatar oh yes the way Avatar. of water yes, is way that water. exhibitors seem to be thrown into a tizzy by it and already the industry is reacting so they're clearly expecting big things yep. because Shazam the fury of the gods which was going to go toe to toe Head-to-head with Avatar 2 has moved back. Yes. Hard to imagine why they think they can't go toe-to-toe with Avatar. Uh, I, I don't know. But, but, but look, everyone's going to get a chance to see this because this footage is going to play before Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So you will get a chance to see it. Sorry, it just, give me a second. <laughs> Sorry, you just mentioned the Sam Raimi movie, so <laughs> I had to react accordingly. Oh, boy. Uh, yes, uh, people will get a chance to see this footage for themselves or decide for themselves because it's going to air before Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yes, very excited about that. The film and the footage. Yay, we like that stuff. Oh, what else has happened then in the world of movie news? There have been some sequel announcements because, as you mentioned, CinemaCon is happening or has happened. Still happening? I don't know. By the time we go out, done. <laughs> I don't think it's happening now. I think it's, okay. it's finished. Um, but yes, we are getting sequels too. Venom Let There Be Carnage. Woohoo. Oh. Two, Ghostbusters. Oh. Okay. And two, The Batman. That's uh, unexpected. 
<laughs> uh, yes, Robert Pattinson and director Matt Reeves will be back for the Batman. Do you know what? I watched Twilight again on the weekend. Don't ask me why. Uh, <laughs> why, James? It's, it's hard to say. It was on. I was there. I just didn't turn it off. But but it's 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 very strange watching him hashtag Team Edward uh, in that role and then going straight into our bats. Look. Catherine Hardwick had a really, really, really good eye for casting. Yeah. And that first Twilight film is decent. It's a very good adaptation of the source material. It is, which yeah. I may yeah. have read. You have read it. All of them. I know. What? <laughs> I've wow. read. Oh, fine. Look, yes, all right. I've read here. all the Twilight books. In my defence... You are a teenage boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only defence I have. I have, in fact, read all the Twilight books. Yes. Yeah. I would not have called that. And I would also not have called Robert Pattinson and Christy Stewart going on to do what they've done. It's very that true. Film. It is very yeah. true. I, also, I forget, like, Rosita from Walking Dead is in it. Anna Kendrick is in it. Like, right. it's, it's got a deep bench. Yeah. Catherine Hardwick, man. She knows yeah. what she's doing. And yeah, you got the sense from them immediately that they didn't quite know what they were signing up to do in terms of the mm. scale of that, in oh, terms yeah. of the scope of it. Well, but they, they, you know, they took it seriously. They did it well. But this yeah. is the reason why I read the book, because I was out, my very first Comic-Con was 2007. And at that Comic-Con, I remember going to the panel diligently, not knowing what it was for Twilight, and just not understanding what was happening. And I remember filming this and actually putting the footage on the website because I didn't understand what was happening. They walked on and it was like Beatlemania. The screams <laughs> went on for a full five minutes and it wow. was hysteria. And I was looking around like, what the <laughs> fuck is happening? And I had no idea. And so I had to have explained to me that Twilight, because this, and also this, it was so the film was coming out just as Breaking Dawn, the mm -hmm. fourth book was being published, mm -hmm. and it was a whole thing. So I went out yeah. and I bought all four of the books Absolutely. from the local bookshop in San Diego yeah. and read mm -hmm. them all. I have Twilight to thank for one of my one of my friendships, uh, Maria Lewis, best-selling author. Yeah, well, she does <laughs> sometimes write about them. Anyway, but Maria Lewis, um, uh, who is a best-selling author and now first-time director at the moment, we met uh, sitting around waiting for the Twilight press conference at Comic-Con as well. Oh, really? Yeah, and we've been friends ever since, what, 2009 or something for the second film? New Moon. Or maybe it was Not the right third now, one. James. Anyway, but <laughs> enough, <laughs> enough with the You knew, movie. obviously, that Fifty Shades of Grey began life yes, as, as Twilight, Twilight fan fiction. Yes. Everyone knows Everyone that. Everyone knows that? Yes. Everyone knows that. Okay. All of us Twihards know that. <laughs> is that what they're called? It is. It is! Oh, <laughs> I'm, not yes. sure it's, I'm not sure it's what they call themselves. No, probably not. You're right, said Edward, sweat glistening <laughs> on his brow. <laughs> Coming is fantastic. <laughs> I'm not sure technically... Oh, no, I suppose he can, can't he? Because they have a... Well, he must child, do. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah, must they do. Have a, mm. They have a freakish baby. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, spoiler for the last book. Yeah. I, I would defy anyone to argue with me. I mean, that. I must admit, that last one with the... In, the rent, first of all, the naming of Renesmee is upsetting. Yeah, but, but the bit where Jacob goes all like problematic with ooh, no, no. oh that's a that's a plot twist we could have done hey, that. Anyway, anyway anyway so Justin Lin has left Fast 10 no or Fast we'll talk X. more about the Batman oh sorry I mean sorry. we've known it's happening for a while haven't we I was just going to say that uh, what I would like to see in okay oh, sure. go on, no, please please come on tell us <laughs> who would you like him to kill tell us all of this I would like to see Kevin Conroy in the Batman suit no I'm joking um well, actually, am I, am I joking? Um, you're going to get, you're gonna get joking? That's, you're going to get Shifty Barry as the Joker is what you're going to get. So I honestly, I hope that we don't. This is no, <laughs> no shot at Barry Kilgan. I think he's really, really great, but I'm just tired of that character on screen right now. And there's so, Why so many serious. <laughs> there's so many more interesting directions that this Batman can go to. 
and I mentioned this on the spoiler special that we did, but the Court of Owls, I think, is a really great villain and a really great direction for this Batman to go to um, in terms of who should he be up against. So, in the for next... people who don't know, that's basically the rich people of Gotham doing crime. Yes. Or like Downton Abbey. Yes, <laughs> much like Downton much. Abbey. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, or in this case, Downton Crabby, which is because he's crabby. And that's a, a nod to a gag from yeah. Friends. Given what? everything they set up with Bruce's father in the Batman, uh, the Court of Owls connection, they could easily link those two things up. So hopefully they go more in that direction rather than you know, Joker take 565 or whatever. We yeah, I think you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I just I, I would not be excited. I'll be I'll be less excited about the Batman of the going that direction. A lot less excited. Yeah, well, that's all right. We can be less excited together. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry. Anyway. So fast next, tell us about that. Uh, it, it was it was a bit of a shock announcement actually that Justin Lin is leaving um, Fast Ten mere days mm. into production. So um, it's apparently amicable, but the result of creative differences. Bullshit! Bullshit! Such bullshit! Oh god! That is a bad cough, Chris. I hope you're okay. Are you I'm okay? Water. Uh, Sorry, uh, guys. Yeah. It's a pandemic. It, it does. It does feel like an odd time to have an amicable split. Mm. You know, it's kind of like having an amicable split at the altar mm. at your wedding. Like that's. It's quite an achievement. Maybe someone objected. Have, Maybe that's what happened. May, yeah. May, yeah. I, I, one dreads to think who might have objected. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, this is this is a, a real surprise because I think he co-wrote this one, so it would you would feel like you know this was a guy who was was in charge of the was in yeah. charge of the creative direction yeah. and, and he, was everybody was happy with the creative direction having presumably signed off on the script to go into production mere days from now. Yeah, it's just a bummer because he is the guy who directed the best yeah. film in that franchise. The first one? Fun. No, he didn't. That's Rob Cohen. The first. <laughs> Do you think the first one was better than Fast Five? You know you're wrong on this. <laughs> Do you really think the first one was better than Fast Five? You can't argue with science, I don't know what to tell you. Honestly. Five stars better than one star. Ergo, Fast Five better than Fast One. You told me last week or whatever that I was a professionally wrong man. And I believe, you know, that that, that same saying applies to you right now because that is just all the way wrong. Fast um, Five is the nexus of human creation. It's the reason that our civilization exists. It's what we were building towards <laughs> all those years. That's why we're now in decline. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, we, we have achieved it. As a society, we've it's, like, it's like the nine billion names of God, that Arthur C. Clarke short story. Mm-hmm. You know that one? Oh, we're basically, um, the, the, there's this... I gave up the first few billion in fairness. So. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great short story. There's, there's this group of nuns. How short can it be if it's nine billion words long? <laughs> it isn't though, is it? If you, That's just the title of the story, isn't it? Because your average book, I've got to be honest, is not that I long. mean, I was going to tell you what it is, but if you just want to keep interrupting, that's fine. No, no, just skip it. You can please, read it yourself. Please, by all means, do tell it. Is, it. is it Twilight fan fiction? <laughs> I mean, if so, it's really esoteric. <laughs> no, it's basically about these uh, this group of monks who believe that your, one's purpose in life, the purpose of the universe, is to find the nine billion names of God, and they get this computer to help them do it. To go through all the variations of the letters they've identified and, and and identify the nine billion names of God, and they believe that once that's done, that is the purpose of the universe achieved. 
And these computer technicians who go up to help them and bring them this computer and program it and everything for them are just sort of sitting around outside one night. Go well, that's. I mean, it's it's cute that they believe this, and I think we've now got it set up and working. But that's a bit crazy, isn't it? And mm. then the stars start going out overhead. Anyway, it's a really good story. I think Mark Wahlberg lists a good number of them at some point in TED. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't need to read it now. Anyway, my point is, yeah. Fast Five is our nine billion names. It of God. is. It is. You know, Michelangelo and his silly little ceiling. Doesn't even come close. Wow. Doesn't even come close. The statue with its arms off. Oh my God. The fallen Madonna with the big boobies. <laughs> all of these pale into insignificance next to the majesty that is the pinnacle of human creation. That is Fast Five. I think you find it's Fast and Furious Five Rio Heist. <laughs> Over here it is. You're absolutely right. But that was directed by Justin Lin, as was Tokyo Drift, as was Fast and Furious, as was Fast and Furious Six. And of course, perhaps more slightly disappointingly, was Fast 9 recently, or sorry, F9, the Fast Saga, Jesus Thank Christ. Thank you. Uh, and um, he is the guy who has revitalized this franchise and made it what it is. I don't know why he's left. Has he had a falling out with Vin Diesel? I would not be surprised if that were the case. I am Groot. <laughs> well said, James. Thanks, James. Well said. Yeah. Succinct, but moving <laughs> and to the point. But yeah, you, you, you have to you have to wonder that because right? people yeah. are going to be speculating about whether that's the, the case. Uh, who would you cast? Who would you cast? Who would you choose to direct uh, in place of Justin Lin? Who I think his loss to that franchise, that movie, mm. makes me slightly less excited to see it. Yeah. Someone on Twitter suggested John Woo, which would be a hell of a get. <laughs> but um, mm. sure, John Woo fast. Fast and Furious movie? I'd be up for that. Yeah. Mm, yes. Um, yeah. Rob Cohen. Rob Cohen, back <laughs> to ruin what he started. <laughs> Just thinking about the car aspect of a Fast and Furious movie and how... Lewis awesome- Hamilton. <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> um, and how awesome all that stuff was in Baby Driver. I would not mind Edgar Wright. I don't think it would happen. I, I don't, think, I don't happen, think, yeah. But, I don't think either of these are likely, do you? I wouldn't imagine he would touch that with a barge pole, but yeah. you never know. But I, I doubt it. It's tricky because it's a bit of a poison chalice in a way, isn't it? You're stepping into this this franchise that you know Justin Lin really has built. He's directed five of the movies. If Gary Gray did uh, eight, James Wan did seven. Neither of those guys, I think, are available for this one, so you couldn't step mm-hmm. in a short notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Leach uh, might, might be available. He's about to finish Bullet Train. I don't know whether he's got something lined up next, but you'd want someone who's got a facility with with action and who can handle, you know, big movie stars, big action stars. Yeah. Okay. Wicked is going to be split into two movies. I didn't see that one coming. I really, mm-hmm. like, genuinely, Wicked is. First of all, it's taken like fifteen years to come to the screen, and now we're getting two of it crazy is that the, the john, john m2 yeah they're john m2 wicked so um it's you know it's got a great great cast lined up we've got um cynthia revo as alphaba ariana grande as glinda it's going to be good like I'm, I'm excited about it but two films mm. yeah crazy that's madness it is madness we also have not talked on the main podcast we did talk about it in a spoiler podcast we recorded recently mm-hmm. but which isn't out yet but which isn't out yet mm-hmm. about El Muerto El Muerto uh, starring so. Bad Bunny <laughs> I wish you guys could see Jay's diet El Muerto right the demon that makes trophies of men <laughs> uh, so no. yes so this is the latest edition <laughs> in Spumpk 
So this is the latest. They've trolled through the <laughs> Spider-Man uh, back catalogue. They've gone through Spider-Man's rogues gallery and uh, they have found El Muerto, who is a wrestler who has powers or something. I'm he's, not entirely he's sure. He's a Lucia Libre type wrestler. He's, he? he's a super powered wrestler. He originally fought Spider-Man in a charity wrestling match and nearly unmasked the hero, apparently. Yeah. And then he was, wait, stung by Spider-Man? Have you read yeah. this one, 2006? No, I have Someone? no inkling of Elmo I'm sorry. Okay, uh, so he was he was he got a paralyzing po- po- poison, and then was saved by from the hospital by the web spinner, when El Dorado, Muerto's oppressor, came to try and kill him, and then. El Muerto and Spider-Man teamed oh, up God. to defeat El Dorado. <laughs> is, is, no. is, no. is this main no. mainstream Spider-Man? Is this uh, yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man? Is this? It was yeah. Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man in 2006. Okay. Okay. Only El Dorado, I'm prepared to watch, has Bunny and Fizz in it, and that is it. <laughs> but this does have Bunny in it. <laughs> it has Bad Bunny. <laughs> okay, so, fair enough. So, Maybe we're onto a winner. Yeah. So uh, Bad Bunny, by the way, is yeah, he's he's uh, a musician. His real name is. Benito Antonio Martinez Ocasio, which is a great name. I prefer um, that to Bad Bunny, if I'm well, honest with you. He is he was like the most streamed person on Spotify for like the last two years running, yeah. like worldwide. He's massive. Absolutely massive. We are the dickheads for not knowing who he is. Not, you know. Yes. Yeah. They're gonna has, have to change that origin because they don't have access to exactly. Spider-Man. So it'd be interesting to see how they do that. But yeah. <laughs> It's a, yeah, it's uh, th- this doesn't fill me with 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 hope. This one, uh, the uh, Craven the Hunter is filming right now with Aaron Taylor Johnson. There's been some set uh, pictures taken mm-hmm. of him on that. They were filming near somewhere I went for a race the other week. Oh, what, Craven the Hunter. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And that's the one I've got most hope for because it's, good, it's a good director. J.C. Chandor has got a good cast. You know, I'm I'm hopeful. Yeah. It so could tired. be an interesting character. Stop trying to make Spump happen. It's just it ruins everything. Uh, I'm okay, trying as, to remain hopeful. Like we said yeah. this on the Morbius uh, spoiler special, but mm-hmm. you know we 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 would we would really like these films to I'm be on, good. Nobody knows the effect of long Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> we'd be <laughs> much <laughs> we'd be much more optimistic if the films that they've made so far in the Spump yeah. were uh, good. Were, were good. Yeah. And and so far they. Haven't been. No. So that ruins the outlook, I would say. But also, Madam Webb's coming up with... Um, Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson, yeah. star of Fifty Shades of Grey. That's right. Did you know that that was based on Twilight? Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay. that's right. You did know that. Okay, so uh, she's going to be in Madam Webb. And now we have El Muerto starring Bad Bunny. But apparently what happened was that they they liked Bad Bunny because Bad Bunny's in uh, Bullet Train, directed yeah. by David Leach, who may or may not direct Fast X. And... They said to him, what would you like to do? We'd like to make a Spider-Man movie with you, which no one's ever said to me. No one's ever said, come to me and said, I'd like to make a Spider-Man movie with you. But I'd Bad like Bunny, to make a Spider-Man mo- you don't have the power, <laughs> Helen. You don't have the <laughs> well, power know, or the money, saying. quite frankly. You don't have the capital or the back catalogue. You don't have the rights. You don't have the That's rights. That's really hurtful. You don't, Where just, were you? you don't just go up to somebody and say they don't have the back catalogue, do you? <laughs> Where were you in 1980? Whenever people were just handing shit out at Marvel. Hey, would you like the rights to Spider-Man in perpetuity? Yes, sure, little child. Would you hello little child? Would you like the rights to our most lucrative property? Yeah, okay, thank you. Where were you in nineteen fucking eighty? You don't when have the rights, you don't have the rights. Oh, you don't have the rights. And that is an excellent Elden Ring joke to throw in there. Which none of you will understand. But three people at home are fairly That's right. right. That's right. Um but yeah, so El Muerto, Bad Bunny, they said, Who would you like to play? And he 
he wanted to play a Latino character and I think they wanted him to play a Latino character and he would become the first Latino actor to headline a Spider-Man movie. Um, and he went away and trolled through 60 years of Spider-Man comics and went, there are no Latino characters in here, uh, but there is this one guy, there's this guy, El Muerto, I'd like to play him. And so now they're, they're building this around around dad, which feels to me that maybe it's the last backwards. I mean, maybe, but maybe it's good. Maybe it means that this this guy who clearly has, you know, a creative, you know, Bent. take on this yes. property, you know, will will be well suited to it, that they will be playing to his strengths, that they will make it work. He's clearly a charismatic and a talented dude or he wouldn't be doing as well as he is. Yep, apparently you know, very good in bullet train. There you go. So so maybe this maybe this will be a good thing. Maybe the fact that they're not trying to service a fan base in the way that Venom is... I assume Morbius has a fan base. It may have been doing the same. I don't know. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. that will be a good thing. Maybe it will free it up to be creative. It has worked wonders for uh, likes of James Gunn with something like Peacemaker mm-hmm. um, because nobody really knew, even comic aficionados didn't really know a lot about that character before the show. Um, so yeah, we will see. Every day is Christmas Eve, etc. Um, but yeah, the if we, if we go by what we've seen before from this particular universe, then the hype significantly significantly down that is fair that is fair I'm still convinced they pick their spump projects via Tombola uh, and perhaps <laughs> next week we will prove this or like the manatees you know the manatees <laughs> from South Park you ever seen an episode of South Park Mm-mm. where they um, they're shown how Family Guy is written and Family Guy is written via <laughs> a series of giant tanks giant water tanks that are filled with balls and in one of the balls is a subject and in another one of the tanks there is a a, a, a famous person from pop culture and in the third tank there is something else like a time period or something like that and each of the in each of the tanks lives a giant manatee and the manatees pick a ball at random and pop them into this this tube and then it comes out and goes okay so it's William Shatner making a joke about skateboarding in 1993 and that's how they write uh, Family Guy it's very funny sure it is uh, we also had our first look at Margot Robbie as Barbie and she looks like Barbie oh, and I think does. that's going to be fun she does a lot like Barbie hold on let me just have a look but at also this. a lot like Margot Robbie also that well I mean yeah that, that's probably I can confirm that she looks like Margot Robbie and Bobby. And yeah. she also looked like Margot Robbie in the first pictures from the new David O. Russell movie. Mm. Now, which is now called Amsterdam, isn't that right? Yes. So it's it presumably is. a spin off from The Wire, is that right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is David O. Russell's new movie, and it's called Amsterdam, and it also stars Christian Bale, who can be seen in the picture, and John David Washington. And Robert De Niro and Rami Malek and Michael Shannon and Timothy Oliphant and Anya Taylor-Joy and Zoe Saldana and Mike Myers and Chris Rock and Andrea Riseborough and Taylor Swift and Alessandro Nivola and Matthias Schoenarts and uh, pretty much everybody. So wait, did they just like, did he get together with um, Christopher Nolan and just divide up Hollywood between them? <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> wow. If you're not in Downton 2 and you're not in uh, Oppenheimer... Uh, you're which is coming out the same day as Barbie, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> There we go. Somebody on Twitter was suggesting a Freaky Friday arrangement where uh, Christopher Nolan and Greta Gerwig accidentally body swap and have to finish each other's films. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. 
be amazing. Um, mm. Also, uh, there was an announcement about the new Leica film. It's a new stop motion film. It's called The Night Gardener, not to be confused with In the Night Garden. Um, it's about a young man in rural Missouri fighting to keep his family together after a tragedy. And we'll tragedy. apparently paint an unflinching portrait of sacrifice, self-reliance and revenge. Not words you often hear about animated films. <laughs> so I think this will be an interesting one. I'm hoping you for something a bit different. Than do not like her. I do like her. I like a lot. Is that sufficiently dark for you to take a chance on this animation, James? Well, you never know. I do quite. I enjoy a Leica. I'm still slightly scarred by Caroline, but uh, I, I do. I do enjoy them. Caroline's fucking great. Anyway, have we exhausted ourselves? Are our, our reserves of movie news spent? <laughs> Can we go? <laughs> should we just should we just sack off the review section of the show? Yeah, we've never done it before. No. Let's try. It's ten years of the podcast. Let's try and mix things up. Let's try a new approach. A new Hell, era. A new era, if you will. <laughs> so here's Julian Fellows talking about Downton Abbey, a new era, after which the show will end. <laughs> there you go. Bingo. Maybe, maybe a bit more of an intro. Maybe a bit more of an intro. All right, okay. So Downton Abbey, that's on the television, isn't it? And then it was, it was on the cinema. Yeah. Well, and it and was the brainchild of one man. Mm. Or should I say man's? Because he is a fellow's. Julian Fellows. A jolly good Julian Fellows. Listen, Lord. I didn't have time to write this down, so <laughs> I'm just saying whatever comes into my head. And it seems to be working so far. <laughs> go with it, go with it. Yes, so Julian Fellows created Downton Abbey. Uh, While also being Baron Fellows of West Stafford. Good for him. I did not know that. Anyway, Downton Abbey. Si, that's, si, a, that's about a big house and all the people who live in it and the people who work for the people who live in it. And Downton Abbey, the movie, came out a couple of years ago now, pre-pandemic. I quite enjoyed it. Despite, you watched it? I, I, yeah, I watched it, yeah. And um, I quite liked it. It's very likable. It's a likable yeah. film. And now they have made Downton Abbey, colon, a new era. And Helen here, uh, as well as speaking to Julian Fellows for, and I cannot overstate this enough, a Downton Abbey 2 spoiler special <laughs> podcast. Spoke to Julian Fellows just in general terms. Yeah. So no spoilers in this bit. No spoilers in this bit. Here we go. Julian Fellows talking to Helen. Do please enjoy. Julian, hello. How are you doing? Hello. Very good. Thank Excellent. you. Um, I'm so happy to be here to talk about the film with you. Um, first of all, you know, Coming back to Downton Abbey, we, I believe you had the idea, the glimmering of idea, at least on the on the last film. So when did it kind of take shape for you? I don't. I mean, you say that I don't really remember that. I I thought the last film was probably it, uh, and uh, but mind you, I thought the end of episode six, were, you know, series six was it. Uh, so um, I think it's sort of the the last film had this very strong response you know and and um i think we were the most popular film in the world or something for a week or two um and so it, it was slightly inevitable that they would have another go um and then we i started to think around and what could we do and what could we do and gareth uh the gareth name had the idea of taking them out of britain getting them onto foreign territory so uh, we could sort of see them if you like not in their uh, sort of comfort zone um, and um, and I was looking for an idea of the 20th century muscling into Downton in a way that couldn't be denied you know that the world was a different world and uh, and I was listening to Gareth 
talking about his grandfather, who'd been a boy, well, boy, he'd been a runner uh, on a film directed by Alfred Hitchcock in, in 1928, where exactly this had happened. They'd had to make the changeover in the middle. Uh, and as he was doing it, I thought, ooh, uh, maybe this is what's going to push into dancing. So I, I think it sort of came gradually. And then we decided to do this kind of bifocal film. Uh, and um, and that was it, really. And then I wrote it and then we made it. Of course, it was complicated by COVID in as much as everything's been complicated by COVID over the past two and a half years. Uh, and there was a kind of touch and go element as to whether or not we were going to be able to get to France. Remember, because it was, you couldn't fly unless you had some uh, really serious reason and larking about in Downton Abbey didn't qualify. So, um, you know, there was that. But uh, anyway, it did happen. And, and, and I'm rather pleased with that. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but anyway. Well, I mean, a couple of questions coming out of that. First of all, you know, is it easy to go back to these characters? Do you feel almost like re a reunion for you as a writer when you when you go back into them? Or is it, do you feel sometimes like, oh, I've written everything I could possibly write about this lot. I need new people like, you know, you've obviously been working on The Gilded Age as well. Yes, I mean, uh, of course, in a way, the answer to that is yes. But, but uh, I mean, you get back into these characters. And I think what one has to remember is that life for everyone just keeps going and different things keep happening. And, and you have babies and lose jobs and get illnesses and move house and your mother dies and your son goes off the rails and your daughter marries someone you can't stand. I mean, all of this happens. And really, in a way, you're just selecting events that will illustrate elements of the characters that you think is an interesting way for them to go. Uh, I think it's, it's as straightforward as that, really. I mean, we, you know, now we've known these people for 12 years, which is longer than we've known half our friends. And, and uh, you know, we've watched Mary, for instance, be start out as a rather selfish spoiled, snobbish, wayward girl insisting on her own uh, turn and everything. And gradually she sort of harnessed her own strength and, and now has channeled it. And she's now taking over as the boss. And I think by the end of this film is convincingly in charge of the Danton house and estate and everything else. Uh, and you know, I like that development. I think it's interesting. And I, and I think it's, you know, I'm lucky because Michelle is a very good actress and is playing her. And so, uh, of course, you, you need that. I mean, casting is very important, but I think we've got a fantastic cast. And I, you know, sometimes when you're writing, you think, oh, I'm not sure so-and-so could do that. But I haven't had that in this program at all in this series mm. they're all very very good and and on the whole whatever i've given them to do they've done splendidly you know so it looks better than it was when i wrote it and <laughs> um you know and that's very rewarding uh, i mean i don't know if we I mean your next question is will we go on i suppose and i don't know the answer i mean I, you know as i say i've sort of said goodbye to them again and again and then Two years later, there we all are, you know, reassembled. So um, it has been 
an extraordinary adventure, really. I mean, there's no other word for it. Yeah. It really has been. Um, I, I wanted to ask as well about just the, the France uh, scheme this time, because uh, you, you mentioned it a couple of minutes ago. And you know, did it have to be France? I feel like putting the you know members of the English upper class in any other country, it's going to be funniest if it's France. Um, is that fair? Is that right? I don't know. I think we could have different fun in Italy for a start. Uh, and um, no, I think I think. Um, it chimed with us because Gareth, I think, had just been to the south of France and I just read a book about the waking up of the south of France. And what was that one? Which Maxine Elliott or some actress who built Chateau de l'Horizon where um, Churchill used to stay in the summer and everything. And there was this kind of reinvention of the south of France going on in the 1920s. And that seemed to me an interesting background for what we were doing. Um, so I, I think there were lots of factors really that made the decision. And then, you know, the location people came up with that particular villa. I think it was the first villa Liz Truebridge went to. I don't know if the location people had gone to others, but they said to her, you know, today we're going to such and such when she arrived. Uh, and of course it was absolutely perfect. I mean, and, and couldn't have been better. So all of that was lovely. And I, I did like, I enjoyed uh, Robert and Cora being away from their uh, maintenance system. Uh, and I think it allowed them to have a kind of emotional immediacy that, you know, in the library at Downton wouldn't have been quite so real. Um, and so uh, for all of us, I think it worked pretty well. Of course, poor Michelle didn't go to France because yeah. she was in the other story. But on the other hand, she did have quite a lot to do in the other story. So I think it was okay in the end. <laughs> Were there any complaints from any of the cast that they weren't on the France list? Well, I don't know about complaints. I think <laughs> there were one or two slightly disappointed people. But, um, you know, there was a limit to how many you can take, really. You've talked about this being a deliberately feel-good film, that this is a time, I think, in the world that needs it right now. So, you know, how do you go about then balancing? Because there is drama in this and there is, you know, there are upsetting moments and there are very dramatic moments. So how do you get that that sort of balance right without losing that sense of, of fundamental optimism, I guess? I think um, Downton has established a style of its own, which is this mixture of laughter and tears, which we've always had, really. Um, and, uh, and I think that's proved very useful in our transition to the big screen. Um, and I, Maggie helped us develop that. I, I, I think very strongly uh, that she helped us with that. Uh, I mean, with tears, you know, a weeping is not necessarily an unwarm film. A Weepy can be a very warm film and a very welcoming film. Uh, and uh, I think that our weeping is not one that upsets you for days because of the things you've seen. You know, I mean, I could name some films where I could hardly sleep for about a month. Uh, and I don't think that's what we're doing. We are reminding people that in any life, some rain must fall. And sad things happen to all of us and we have to deal with them uh, as best we can and we have to move on. And I think that is 
if you like, the moral lesson underpinning Downton, that uh, overcoming, you know, as Maggie says, uh, overcoming the unexpected is, is what is the business of life. And, and uh, I, I believe that. I think we show it. But I think the sad scenes are sad in a way that is quite, I hope, quite emotionally fulfilling. Uh, and they blend with the comedy uh, to make a sort of whole. Um, and, and that, I think, is all part of feel good. I'm not afraid of the phrase. I mean, some people use it pejoratively. But, you know, for me, uh, part of the business of the entertainment industry is to entertain. And I, I don't see anything wrong in that. I mean, I don't think it's the only thing. I mean, I don't. And I, I think there's room for everything. And, and, uh, and some of my favorite films are, are very dramatic or very upsetting or, very, you know, uh, so it's not that I'm prescribing anything. But I think there is sometimes uh, a moment. I mean, when you look at the films during the war, you know, so much of it was sort of Judy Garland musicals and comedies with Cary Grant and all this. Uh, because there's a you just I've had enough of being depressed. Uh, you know, let's go out and, and be not depressed for an evening. And I don't see anything wrong in that. Quite right. <laughs> uh, and, and I hope we're following in that, in that tradition, really. Yeah, absolutely. You've, you've had a very busy sort of uh, lockdown with, with obviously this Downton Abbey movie with The Gilded Age. Um, you know, w- what else do you have on your plate? Because you, you don't seem to stop working. I mean, I was just looking over, obviously, your, your list of credits before now. And I'm not sure people all know that you wrote The School of Rock book for the <laughs> musical. I'm not sure people I know how much you rock. do. I was great. That was a really... Happy job, actually. I loved doing the School of Rock because it was, you know, a complete departure. I mean, not a parlour maid in sight. And, um, and we had a wonderful cast for that as well, actually. And I loved working with Andrew and the director. And, and, and you know, we all got on very well. It was a bit, and I love New York. And we were there for quite a long time. So that was very nice. But, no, at the moment, I mean, I'm mainly concentrating on the second series of The Gilded Age. Uh, and, uh, and of course, I'm very gratified that there is a second series, you know, because you never know. Uh, you do your best, but you don't know. And, and so that's very nice. And, um, and then there's one or two other things that may or may not come to pass. Um, but, you know, uh, I mean, I don't... I think I've been very lucky. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a lucky boy. And, uh, you know, a lot of things I've done have, have happened and gone into production. I mean, there's, you know, there's plenty of people who are working very hard, but their stuff doesn't get produced uh, for one reason or other, often not because it isn't good enough, but because some other part of the jigsaw has fallen out. Uh, and so I, I consider myself very fortunate that I have had so much stuff that did end up getting produced. All right. So that was Julian Fellows uh, talking about Downton Abbey, a new era and ahead of the spoiler special. So let's not get into spoilers here. OK, folks. Jimbo. Yes. As the biggest Downton Abbey stan <laughs> in this room and in fact ever. Hmm. Tell us about this movie. It's amazing. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so, so okay. Look, so I, I have watched every episode of Downton Abbey. I have, and then I watched the film, the last film, which is fine. It's okay. It's a little bit overblown. There's a silly assassination plot. It's not fabulous. I love the assassination plot. It's fine. It's a bit silly, but it's fine. This though is a fucking masterpiece because, and I and I don't say this lightly. This is the greatest two hours of Downton that have ever existed. Like it is, it is, it is what? the pièce de résistance. <laughs> it is the apotheosis of all things Downton. It is a perfect, perfect movie. It is a five star Downton experience. Is this? to the Downton franchise where Fast Five is human existence. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> this is the nine billion names of the members of the Crawley family. It is incredible. So in this, the Dowager Countess... Helen, feel please, free to knock him out at any moment. Please tell people what you gave this okay. as a star rating. Well, I, gave, I gave it three stars. <laughs> <laughs> in my defence... I'm on to the chloroform. <laughs> Quickly. It's a three-star film, but a five-star Downton experience. And I qualify this by What does that if, mean? If you're going into this, as Amon did, having not really watched Downton Abbey as a series, it's a three-star film. It's pretty good. It's pretty compelling. There's some entertaining, funny stuff in there. If you are a Downton fan, this is a nailed-on, gold-plated, laminated film five-star film because Abby it is Hogan the greatest is like a and shit. of all things Downton Abbey. Can and I, go can, on. Can what? I just say, before this film started, both me and James, and bear in mind, as James said, I'm not really a biggest Downton <laughs> fan. He has watched literally everything. Yeah. We were still, both of us, trying to figure out what the hell happened in the first yes. movie yes. and like going to Wikipedia to make sure we were all caught up on... All of this is true. <laughs> and I couldn't remember. But luckily, we did look at Wikipedia and then I did remember because the first film was not that good. But You did five is... minutes on a live show. I, I did, I did. But really, I was more in love with the idea of Downton than Downton itself. It's fine. But this one is wonderful. So on the one hand, the Dowager Countess, Maggie Smith, who is on top form, finds out that an old paramour of her has bequeathed Ooh. unto her a villa on the Côte d'Azur. So most of the... You got I mean, your hand I up. I cannot tell you how many times, like, an ex-boyfriend has been all like, have this villa on the Côte d'Azur. And I've been like, dude, I can't even be bothered right now. Like, no, go away. I can't even. Just and I just put it aside for like 70 years, yeah. you know? Which I just is... put it aside and I'm like, whatever, I'll deal with it later. Yeah. Which is what she does. Yeah, you know? what so she we does. have a lot in common that way. Chris has his hand up. <laughs> my, Do you have a question? My Chris? hand was up. My yeah. hand was up. Uh, Maggie Smith. Yes. Yeah. At the end of Downton Abbey, her character, uh, Lady, Lady Violet. Lady, okay, Lady Violet. Yes. She was diagnosed with the death She's so, diagnosed with death. She has a bad yeah. state. Yeah. Yes, yeah. she is still. I mean, she's has like, she got better? Like she's, she's nine hundred years old at this point. So okay. yes, death takes a long time. So she's she is still... she is in the throes of death. But nevertheless, this is very much her film, and I think actually fleshes that character out more in this film than it has done in a great many parts of the series. But anyway, I'm getting I'm getting distracted. So you got you, spoiler you got, special. We save that for the spoiler there special. There are two two broad plot lines. There is a very Downton holiday where they go to South of France to see this villa and to also find out you know what happened in her youth to get her this villa from this man and then the other thing is that Hollywood comes to Downton so a, a production of a silent movie directed by Hugh Dancy comes and with Ooh. stars uh, Dominic West and Ooh. Laura Haddock and they want to shoot Ooh. that's their character names yes and they want to shoot <laughs> on in the family estate and they're happy to allow this well they're not happy to allow this they're actually horrified by the whole thing but they need to fix the leaking roof as we all do so they accept the Hollywood big bucks and let them shoot there and the ghastly actors from the kinematograph come <laughs> to make their movie this is amazing because you know, imagine you're Marcus McFeely and you're you're listening to this and you've spent ages fucking killing yourselves trying to make all the dots 
cross and all the T's all the T what does the T's cross are the I's dotted yes. in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame yeah. and Julian Fellow sits down for five minutes and goes leaky roof <laughs> they go on holiday there's a leaky roof it's that's a it like that. that's cinema that's drama it is it's amazing but I guess you've got so you've got these two things so you essentially got one plot the A plot which is the upstairs plot kind of and then the B plot which is almost like the downstairs plot it doesn't sound this I mean, isn't that's an A so plot downton. that is such it's, a downton it's thing very very downton so raven the thing about this is and, and say what you want about Gillian Fellows but the man is really? extraordinary yeah, no don't because <laughs> okay. he's, he's a lo- he is a lovely man but conservative with both a small and a large yeah, but okay. in terms of spinning That's plates fun. the man has like th- 9 billion spinning plates while making this fucking film and he keeps them all going he gives everyone mm. something to do all of your all of your favourites get a moment in the sun like they, they some of them literally some of them literally <laughs> and you know it's kind of glorious and there's an ending for this and yes it's hugely the review of the film no there was no review there's no ending of the review there is the ending of this is is on one hand patronizing and incredibly saccharine, but also in many ways the absolute perfect send-off to this saga. And I cannot tell you much how much and I don't want there to be any more of this. And my worry with this is that there will be more downturn. And there I don't want there downturn. to be, because this is the perfect ending to this story, and I couldn't have imagined anything. Does it better. end with the society style uh yes. Oh, it's it's the aristocrats Bodies all over the place. Inside yeah. and fucking out. and sucking and yeah. All of it. I will agree that this is a very good film for fans. I would not count myself a hardcore Downton fan. I have seen some Christmas specials in the last movie and a few smattering Christmas in the Highlands, Helen. Did I see that one? I don't think I did. Anyway, um, but it is... It, as a Downton movie, it's very pleasant. The time goes, it's very easy. Some people wear extraordinarily nice coats. The one that Tuppence <laughs> Middleton wears to, as her sort Tuppence. of going away coat after getting married is oh, just amazing. Oh, that's a spoiler. Um, I don't feel like that is a spoiler. No, no, Wearing a, a coat, coat is not a spoiler. <laughs> but the married thing. Yeah, but that's the opening it's literally film. The opening that was, that's what yes. happened in the last yeah. film. Is yeah. She got together with Branson. That's right. So they get married this time. That's a pickle. Yes, she's now little mm-hmm. Sibby's stepmother. Yes, yeah, she is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, uh, so look, as uh, for for fans of Downton Abbey, it will be great for Woo! you know people who care about you know equality and shit. It's it's a, an absolute screaming nightmare. The biggest um, quote unquote gag in the whole thing is that one character you wouldn't think to is a bit common like that's yes, generally and also, the and also when that when that character has personal problems the only people who can reach that yeah. character are other other working class people, people. Like, like because they oh can God. identify with that character hey, blood. you're a bit and common and I just I, I cannot yeah. stress to you how angry that made me and and you know the central dilemma in this in this thing is so um, given this this French villa yeah. something we've all experienced yeah. I'm sure when someone yeah. has just given us a villa on the Riviera a palatial villa it's Massive, yeah. Um, uh, Lady Violet, uh, Dame Dame Maggie, says uh, she's going to leave that to Sibby, to Branson's daughter, because otherwise Sibby, and and please brace yourself here as I say this, (laughs) would grow up without an estate of her own. No! I know all her cousins will have estates of their own, but she's not landed because, you know, Lady uh, Lady Sybil, her mother, was the youngest and and died. Oh my God. Can you imagine the horror? You know, yes, so because, luckily she escapes that horror yeah, she does. by dint of this villain. And they're going to make it, yes, it's, it's like a yeah. summer home. Does this movie then, which is directed by not Julian Fellows, but, but Simon Curtis, we, yeah. should, we yes, should mention, we should, yeah. uh, does this movie then stick the landed? 
<laughs> I wish it did sometimes. I will say, by the way, there, there are a few things in terms of filmmaking that I find very distracting in this film. The opening kind of, I think it's a drone shot of Lenskin, coming yeah. into yeah, the wedding. Yeah, Castle. Is, mm. No, no, not Oh, no, the, the wedding one. The yeah, wedding yeah, one yeah. is wildly distorted. It's a really, I don't know what lens they're using. Maybe it was a projector I saw, it, but I think I it's the lens. I didn't notice that. Wildly distorted to one side. And there's a couple of, of shots like that that seems out of place um, and distracting. There's also a couple of characters who have glowing tans long before they go to the south of France. <laughs> that actually yeah. is true. And that is, you know, just well, wildly anachronistic. It shouldn't have happened for those characters at that time mm -hmm. and really could have been fixed with a little bit of foundation. So I'm at, at a loss to explain why they didn't. The Isaac Asimov TV series. Uh, everything could be <laughs> everything could be fixed with a little bit of that, yeah. obviously, but it it was weird to me. So there were a couple of t filmmaking things like that that were that surprised me because Simon Curtis knows what he's doing, you know. So I wonder if it was budget limitations or something like that. Um, the performances are all good, you know. The character they know these characters inside out. Julian Fellows has a lovely way of making everybody likable and pleasant, but it is a fantasy. It's this conservative fantasy of what this country is, and it is offensively unlike but reality. I think it is a fantasy, and I actually wrote this in the review, I think it's as much a fantasy as The Witcher is. Like, it's just, it's oh, just yeah. absolute yeah. nonsense. Yeah. And you just have to go with it. And I found the ending so touching. I think even, like, you know, a Marxist such as yourself, Helen, must have felt a little bit, like, cockle-warmed by, by, the, by the end. So... Mm. <laughs> I liked it less than James, but more than Helen. <laughs> I, I, think, I think we're both three stars. Yeah, that's we're true. Yeah. Also, I think the writer and director of this movie like it less than James. <laughs> from the sound of things. Amon. Chris. Hello. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Great. How are you? Uh, what did you think of this movie? I liked it. Like, I, um, as I say, first film, I enjoyed that too but I could not remember a single thing about it sitting down to watch Dalton colon A New Era uh, the other night. Um, but I did find myself enjoying these characters. Dame Maggie Smith, who for me has a lifetime pass because of Sister Act and Sister Act 2. Correct. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she's sorry, so sorry. I mean, some other things also, but <laughs> yeah, mostly Sister Act. But mostly Sister Act to Sister Act 2. Oh, she's one of her greatest actors. Yes, Sister I'm aware. Act and Sister Act 2. Oh, I love it. I love it. Literally, if you do a Maggie Smith ranking today, that's number one and two, just so you know. I, uh, I can assure you we are not doing a Maggie Smith ranking. <laughs> just so you know. Um, but yeah, the, the Villa subplot, I mentioned this to James after the screening, but it felt like we needed more than we got in terms of the resolution uh, of that storyline. Um, I'm not going to go into detail because I don't want to spoil yeah, anybody. I was fine with it. Yeah, I know you were fine with it, but I, <laughs> I, I needed more. And yes, there's a ton of spinning plates, but because there's so many spinning plates, not all of them get the attention they deserve in a sense because their plot lines are resolved very quickly. Some within like one scene oh, and that's it. I hear uh, you. You wanted more of Daisy's marital stuff plot, didn't you? <laughs> this is twice now that you've mentioned spinning plates. If there's not a set piece where there is literally spinning plates in the kitchen, I'm going to be most upset. Never with the good china. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, on the whole, I, I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. Uh, I did feel moved a little bit by the ending, yes. James. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, this seems like the cinematic experience of the year. Uh, I will. It's be a five star, it. three star film. It sounds like a five star, five star film from from you, from Helen. It sounds more like a. I, I well, that I'm, it sounds like a film. It's look. It's 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 very nice. It's lovely 
It's lots of lovely people doing lots of lovely things in mm -hmm. lots of lovely clothes. My issue with it is it, it you know, is a lie in a way that I don't think it's, it acknowledges, you know, and it is as fantastical as The Witcher, but, mm. you know, The Witcher, I think people realize it's a lie and I'm not sure that people realize that Downton is a lie in this country and, and it, it, you know, we need to understand this. It's important. All right. Okay. Actually, excuse me, I'm just going to head off to my villa on the Côte d'Azur. Oh, really? Yeah. Is, it, is it near one of mine? It's just been bequeathed to me uh, by, a, <laughs> by an ex-girlfriend. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, all right then, so three stars, three stars then officially for Downton Abbey, colon, a new era, and we will be doing a spoiler special on that. Uh, I will be seeing the movie for that, <laughs> and I cannot, frankly, cannot wait after that. I don't think it's going to live up to that, um, to, to the picture it James does. painted. It does. It, okay. it does. All right. All right, switching from Downton Abbey uh, this week to Casablanca, but not Casablanca the movie, but to Casablanca Beats, which is one of the few movies that is dared to be, to be released this week. <laughs> it feels to me a little bit like studios are running a little scared, perhaps, of obviously Downton Abbey, but presumably next week's really the beginning of the summer season with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and they might be giving that a bit of a swerve? I mean, maybe. I, I genuinely think it's Downton that they're worried about. Really? You usually get more counter-programming to a Marvel movie than mm. you're getting to Downton. This is true. This anyway, is yeah, bizarre. Mm, intriguing. Intriguing. Anyway, Casablanca Beats is one of the movies that is out this week. I'm on. Yes, so this film focuses on former rapper Anas as he takes a job at a cultural centre in Casablanca. Um, and he's he's in charge of students there and he tries to uh, bring their confidence levels up uh, by uh, encouraging them to wrap out their thoughts and feelings. Uh, so that is what um, this one's about. And I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, the... The film has drawn comparisons to School of Rock, and I absolutely get that because the energy of these kids is really the thing mm -hmm. that powers this entire movie. Um, and I really, really liked what they did with that. I love the lyrics that the kids sort of say all the way through the film. There's a political angle to this entire film, which I think is really, really interesting. It does get a little bit heavy-handed at times, um, but before sort of it goes too far in that direction there's a really nice balance it achieves with the film at large and the storytelling and the political stuff that it's trying to get across as well. So on the whole, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, this is from director Nabil Ayush, and I think it was at Cannes last year. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it is very grounded in, you know, this real... Um, th these real kids' lives. Um, so they're non-professional actors who've who basically essentially lived uh, to some ex some degree some of their characters' experiences. I think um, that many of them are known by the same first name as their actual as the actor's first name, right. including Anas. Uh, yes. He's played by Anas Buzbusi, who mm -hmm. is a, a, a you know Moroccan rapper, mm -hmm. um, and he's very good. Like he's not the obvious just straight flat instantly mm -hmm. inspirational teacher. You know, there's a little bit of prickliness to him. He's he's not always warm. With with the kids, mm -hmm. but they sort of come to respect him and vice versa. And and so that's kind of growth towards each other, I think, really helps. And and yes, they also learn to express themselves through hip hop. They learn to they have lots of really interesting debates about what they can and can't say, what it is mm -hmm. safe to say and not say, but also what is appropriate to say and not say, you know, in in as as Muslims, many of them, as as women, as young people of the world you know it's a really engaged passionate film in that sense so it's not just a sort of anodyne find your voice thing 
it's also about, well, okay, it's not quite that simple, is it? So let's have a talk about that. And yeah. I, I really, really appreciated that. But that does mean it's, a, a, you know, it doesn't hit those same sort of obvious highs in the same obvious way we've seen before. It feels a little bit muted at times, but also um, it does have a really nice, a really nice sense to it, a really nice swing to it. And the kids are phenomenally they are talented. So as, you know, musicians and dancers as well, some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they they just give you such a spark of life to this film. So yeah, really, really promising stuff. Sounds good. Uh, we liked it as mm-hmm. a magazine. Uh, we gave it three stars. Three stars then for Casablanca Beats. And last but not least this week, it's a film that I don't think we've officially reviewed, Helen, so you might be on your own. You, right. you can give it a star rating. You can go to town. Uh, right. Go absolutely nuts in this one. It is The Velvet Queen. Yes, this is a story about, uh, it's a a documentary about wildlife photography. Um, So it is directed by um, Vincent Meunier and uh, Marie-Ami Gouet. And Vincent Meunier is also one of the subjects of the documentary. So he is one of the world's best wildlife wildlife photographers. He has apparently won Wildlife Photographer of the Year like three times in a row or something. Like he is phenomenally good at what he does. and on this occasion, mm. uh, he and a writer called Sylvain Tesson go off in search of the snow leopard up on the Tibetan plateau. So that they can't have be to. Easy. It is not. It is not. <laughs> it's famously difficult. In fact, you are correct. So they basically have to spend lots of time sitting very still on in very cold places on top of rocks, waiting for something to happen. And that is, and that's kind of what they then philosophize about in this film. So it's. It's an extraordinary wildlife photography. I mean, the, the the images and the video that they capture is amazing, but there's also a lot of philosophizing because this is a French wildlife documentary um, about the nature of, you know, hunting of this sort, about the fact that there is a sort of lineage from wildlife photography now and hunting for these animals back mm. to the dawn of human existence and hunting for survival and how, you know, we have changed as a species and things like that. Um they interestingly they use camera traps but don't discuss how that changes this whole question of waiting and patience and and the the, the kind of philosophical you know met, meditative nature of what they do mm. so i thought that was a bit odd but but generally speaking it's a very lovely soothing film about just sort of waiting for the world to happen around you we should also mention that it is scored by Warren Ellis with some Nick Cave uh, in there as well. So the the score of this is really beautiful, but it it, is, it isn't overpresent or overpowering. It's just there when it needs to be. Um, so looks amazing, uh, incredible, incredible animal footage. As I said, um, only ninety minutes or so, so it doesn't you know it won't tax the patients too much. But you do have to be okay with the kind of philosophizing throughout. So do they do a podcast with her up there? <laughs> I'm surprised that they Sounds didn't really. Like the yeah. Perfect place to do a podcast. Oh my god, it looked amazing. I mean, you know, you know, I went to um, uh, Nepal a couple of years ago and ran around the country. Yes, and, and yes. It, the, the landscape is not a million miles from what they run, what they sit in in this, and amazing. it's just the most beautiful place on earth. So you'd go four, I'm guessing. I think I'd go four. Yeah, with, with that go. caveat that it is meditative and philosophical, and don't go in, you know, expecting everything to be explained to you. I mean, sometimes I was like, okay, wait, what animal is that? And they don't really tell you. Four stars then for the Velvet Queen. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by... Elizabeth Olsen. Yes, indeed. Elizabeth Olsen, a.k.a. Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. one of the stars, of course, of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Very, very excited about that. 
indeed. But until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye for my three colleagues of such a lethal cunning, Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. Amon Warman. I am vengeance. He is I am the knight. I am Ian Gufford. (laughs) (laughs) you'll work on it work on it (laughs) next time next time you'll have it nailed Uh, it is goodbye from James Dyer doodle pip I'll see you on the Riviera what ho? What ho? <laughs> was that a Hi. Welsh accent? I don't know was it's, that Welsh? it's how Ian Grufford talks that's, uh, that's absolutely true yeah. <laughs> I Ian Grufford <laughs> Anyway, anyway, it's goodbye from me. I'm off to dial 0800 coming and tell Alan I've got some hot information about your missing chimp. (laughs) Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.